Greetings, standard nerds. This is Tom Caramonte of Third Rail Design Lab. And Christopher McClanahan of DeeplyDapper.com. And it's time to... Release the... Kraken! Hey there, pod people. Welcome to the June edition of Robot Kraken. We have a very special episode ahead of you this month. I was unfortunately unable to get together with Tom and record anything the entire month because I was on the road every day, basically. Uh, So he got together with a couple of special guest stars who will be introduced throughout the show, and they discussed a little bit of everything. Uh, Current news, Alien Covenant, Ghost in the Shell... Wonder Woman, uh, Jakarta, Guardians of the Galaxy 2, all sorts of science fiction madness. Uh, Really, if you like nerd stuff, standard nerd stuff, there's something in here for you. Uh, There's all sorts of crazy tangents and discussions, as is the usual with Tom. And there may be a few drinks involved, some passing out from over-drinking. And other madness. Uh, I unfortunately won't be in on any of them, but I will be popping in now and then to either clarify something, give my opinion, or just introduce a new segment. As usual with Robot Kraken, most of these were recorded in multiple long, epic recording sessions. So there's some breaks, there's some changes in topic, there's a little bit of editing I had to do just for clarification or time. But everything seems pretty solid for the most part. This is a really great episode. I'm super excited about it. I hope you guys like it. I really appreciate our guest stars, Blake and Mike, for hopping on and helping out in a month that I've just been crazy, crazy, super busy. And enjoy June with Robot Kraken. Let's appease the beast. Greetings, standard nerds. This is Tom Caramonte of Third Rail Design Lab, and I have a special guest this session, the man I like to call Blake Cyber Simmons. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Do you feel Senior very... Caramonte? <laughs> Do you feel very cyber? I'm very cyber, and especially punk tonight. Yeah, that's right. We have been since the 80s, and we won't let go. In this segment of Robot Kraken, we appease the beast with reviews of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, Alien Covenant, possibly Ghost in the Shell, and many more. So, Mr. Blake Cyber Simmons, how are you doing? Uh, again, doing very well. How about yourself, sir? Well, things may have changed in the last 30 seconds, so I'm doing swell. Maybe better than you, since I'm not struggling to deal with the regime change on a daily basis in a, in a, in a bitter and disheartening manner in my work life. But, well, you know, it's 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 the things that uh, pose adversity that really build character and scabs. I I don't. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to out you. I'm just saying the way I felt last month after my uh, intestinal business coming off my Jakarta trip is how you're feeling today and on every day, really. I, at a metaphysical level, every day is a Jakarta day for me. <laughs> I want to. I don't want to throw Jakarta under the best bus. I just want to throw their their microorganisms. Mm-hmm there and keep them there but i'm feeling much better thank you for asking i feel swell yeah uh you look much better i do i don't have that that weird color to my skin and the weird uh, frog face yeah that's true 
Yeah, you, you, you look, uh, you know, non-serotic. <laughs> That's good. I feel 100% normal with one glaring exception. So I'm drinking my sweet booze again. I'm eating mm-hmm. whatever. Mm-hmm. Hot sauce, everything's fine. No mm-hmm. problems. But the one thing that's changed is I've lost temporarily, I assume, my interest in beer. Can you believe that? That's a that's a horrible thing. I don't understand why that is. I don't know what the corollary is, but of all the things that have come back, the beer hasn't come back. Maybe it's all about fermentative organisms and anaerobic gut microbiome, and you just have a molecular repulsion to any kind of perturbation to your gut microbiome now. We're not outing Blake Cyrus Simmons in his other life by any stretch. <laughs> I want to have you know, sir, that I eat sauerkraut on like a daily basis. I'm not kidding you. I transition from yogurt to sauerkraut in every day. Well, so, thank God, he, and thank God he didn't transition to a smoothie of the two. That would uh, <laughs> that would be very interesting. Oh, I feel like there's a there's some promise there. No, there isn't. You're right. I won't do it. But uh, yeah, so everything's great. And uh, I think also, exceptionally so, what's been neat over the last few weeks is that you and I have seen not one, but two sweet, sweet movies, which we're going to mm-hmm. talk about. That's Indeed. uncommon, right? It's, uh, I think it's unprecedented, actually. <laughs> two times one month. No ladies. No, no, no. no, no not, not even two times in one month. It's like a stretch of consecutive weeks almost it's phenomenal there you are <laughs> sucking down a beverage with your rocket raccoon gog2 uh, <laughs> so uh yeah so i should mention uh to our 333 listeners that you may have noticed in this particular session the lack of the dulcet tones of chris deeply dapper uh, yeah. uh mcclanahan but you know this is because he's he's a man on a mission he's on the road He's going from one convention to the next, and for the next five, I don't know, whatever it is, four, four weeks or something, he's just hitting them one after another. So right now, at the time of this recording, he is procrastinating getting ready for Phoenix Comic Con, and this past weekend, he was at uh, Monster something, Monster monster something, you know, there was a lot of Twin Peaks stuff going on, and there was some monster stuff. I'm sure he'll be posting his reviews of those shows on his uh deeply dapper dispatches but all i know is he's beat up going from one to the next yeah but uh yeah so we'll catch up with him on the next session but so in the we, meantime we, we have you but that's, that's a little shout out we miss you chris hope everything's going well hope you're doing a lot of business in the best way and hope to uh, see you back soon in the sunny san francisco haunts okay so you being an avowed reader of science fiction and a man of science in general, not to out you, you understand the temporal laws. Why are you giving shout outs to Chris when by the time this airs, he will have edited it and be part of this recording? This makes no sense whatsoever. Unless no. it does, unless we forked, this is getting challenging right off the bat. It's, it's, it's a, a parallel It's a parallel time check, right? Is it, and, that's also, <laughs> and also, even, even if he edits this out, he will hear it, he'll think kindly of me, and he won't brutalize me in the editing. That's very self-serving motive there besides splitting in the time travel. Frame. Schrodinger's podcasting. Well, you know, that's how – so we've established then that in the robot Kraken world, every time we do something that doesn't make sense, we just split the timeline. Yep. It's like the Sarah Connor Chronicles version, right? Everything is – it's just like the lightning, all the feathers coming off of the lightning strike and they're well, all – Well, and it's everything X-Men. It's everything Fantastic Four. It's no, everything. no. <laughs> Those aren't alternate timelines. They eat themselves. Oh. Those are like Ouroboros. They they can't make them. They can't make 
consistency for five seconds. It's not like they have a plan. Don't give me that. But give me a minute. Like that's what I'm saying. Neither do we. (laughs) Everything we do is preordained, planned meticulously, and 100% the results of our hard work and dedication to this cause. As podcasters, give me a break. Okay. I stand corrected, sir. Thank you for your temporal correction. All right. So speaking of temporal corrections uh, that are happening and are going to happen even more in the coming minutes uh, as we consume, let's do our Sucking the Monkey segment. Mm. Now, for the one listener out of 333 that's never listened to this podcast before, hopefully not my mother, the Sucking the Monkey segment is where we talk about what we're consuming, what delicious drinks we have while we're recording. Uh it has a nautical reference to it. We've talked about it many times. I want to know, what are you having tonight? I'm doing a Hudson Bay baby bourbon straight up with uh, two rocks per glass. You, you Per glass because you're planning it. You, <laughs> I bought a really big bottle. <laughs> that's, that's, that's hard to do with that stuff. That's, that's a pricey beverage, and I love it because you keep mm-hmm. giving it to me. I love it. Mm-hmm. So... so- Okay. And how about you, sir? What concoction are you imperiling your state of mind and state of health with tonight? All right. Well, so once again, I'm attempting not to have um, a complication like one of our previous recordings where I unintentionally mixed the tequila and something else, rum together with something else, and then drank half a pint before I realized what I had done. This time I knew full well what I was doing. So I took uh, Kettle One Citrus vodka and i mixed it with some elderflower sparkling beverage so that's like a marin thing which is like a california thing it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of bullshit right but it it was there it looked good so i got it and then you don't you don't see it a lot in florida bars for instance yeah yeah no. and then also um a splash of, of uh, lemon juice and a bit of peach puree and a, a just a little bit to be honest with you of that grapefruit tequila before just to give it a little color and then load it up with pineapple chunks and it's delicious so but but that's that's like a beach drink my friend not a marin may drink well wait a minute it was 85 no no it was 90 something degrees until two days ago it happens to be 50 now but it was it was really (laughs) this california falling into the sea it was really hot and then did you see the photos of those watermelon strawberry margaritas i made they look delightful. But now that you're wrapped in the Mylar survival blanket, it's kind of hard to envision <laughs> you in a tropical setting. <laughs> All right. Or is, that, sense. That, or is that just a new affectation? I'm just trying to be clear. No, it's well, okay. So I've, I've named this drink and it's the Ruminous Rad Counter. Nice. I'm sticking with that uh, Wake Island sort of. There might be a monster in there, vomit kind of thing. Well, it, it, it's better than what I would have given it, like the. Blunt head trauma. <laughs> I think the last one was the blunt. Head. No, the last one was the 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 the, the what I told a toll, <laughs> which was great. It was similar. Uh, I'm on a pineapple kick right now. But then uh, before that was the one that should have been the blunt. Yeah, massive well, hey, head, no, massive headwind, Harry. But now now we're going to do transition. Shout out to a comedic theme over in Tropic Thunder where you know they're doing pineapple to stay cut. Oh yeah. So, yeah, there you go. You know, it's been at least a month since I saw that film, so I need to get on it again. So, uh, you know what I thought? I Suck thought my unit there. What? <laughs> what? So, uh, 
So in this next segment here, Blake and Tom discuss all sorts of crazy news. They go off on some tangents. Uh, they talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, Venom, Star Wars 40th Anniversary, Game of Thrones, uh, Valerian. They go on to politics for a little while, so if that's something you want to avoid, tough. you got to listen anyway. Uh, the, Tom also threatens Xenu in this in some capacity, so if Tom suddenly disappears off of this and I can't talk about it later, that's why. Oftentimes in recent recordings, uh, Chris and I have sort of dodged the news of the day because in our weekly sessions or bi-weekly sessions that we were doing mm-hmm. bi-monthly bi-monthly sessions we were hitting a bunch of news and then we would get into the other stuff yep. and it was a lot and since we switched to the monthly format and we knew that by the time we finished the recording it was going to be like you know the way this goes two days later it's old news right and i'm not even talking about current events political yeah. the the pol- political chasm that we're in i mean just Entertainment news, right? Standard nerd news. But since we are starting our session for this month rather late in the month, I thought it was safe to talk about some stuff because there's mm-hmm. been a lot of stuff in one week. Don't you think? There has been. Yeah, there, a lot. I have some topics, and you may have okay. them as well. Okay. This is a seg- an occasional segment, right? Not every month, but when it's important, we do it. The scurvy scuttlebutt. What do you think? I think it's a little dabble do you. Right? <laughs> It's piratey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, oh, please, but please, God, let's not talk about dead men tell no tales. I shan't. Well, so okay, no, now we will. So you're not okay. in, you're not in, enthused about that film. Uh, no, I, so uh, let me be honest. The, the first two movies uh, were a decided guilty pleasure of mine. Yeah, and and I'm, you know, they're they're charming. They're they're humorous. They're easy to watch. You know, in terms of cinematic aesthetic and value systems uh probably not at the top of the tier that i would equate to something that i'd be more familiar watching but i gotta say the last film was pretty much a a gut buster for me and by the way i know lee ehrenberg uh from the pirates of the caribbean pantheon and uh Who, who's that so he's an actor in oh, okay. the series so you know the guy with the one eye and then his sidekick the little roly-poly dude with the sh- yeah with no hair that's Lee Ehrenberg. He's oh, really? also known for Seinfeld. Yeah. yeah I'm, I met him in Vancouver at a bar once when I was there for a conference, and we hung out for like seven hours. <laughs> As one is wont to do. Yeah, and and uh, we're still uh, emailing and F-booking and everything else. So he's a he's a friend. But I just got to say, that last film was just um, an abattoir of ungoodness. <laughs> so wait a minute. This next one is five, right? Yep. So why did you stop watching? Did you watch all of them? I've watched all of them, yeah. Okay, so I fell off after two. Mm-hmm. And I think, so I feel like I'm, I'm conditioned to like this. So I was conditioned to like Ghost in the Shell more, but I was conditioned to like this sort of movie because, you know, it's pirates and, and you know, it's lush and so it's supposed to be good. And mm-hmm. little uh, irreverent, you know, funny, but also fun and exciting and whatever. And I don't know, something but, about but, it. But, but those are the past two as well. That was three and four. I was supposed to be... You know, well, charming, light, humorous, but it just collapsed under its own weight. Well, that's the right? thing I don't understand. I don't know why I stopped watching after two, but something happened. I can't point at anything other than I can't – I couldn't tell you what was – I barely could tell you what was in one versus two. Like the, the narrative structure and the, and, the, and the gimmicks and stuff were so well, but, 
consistent that I. But the introduction of Jeffrey Rush was, yeah. you know, in some regards, very uh, rejuvenating uh, in terms of character and depth of plot. But yeah, I, I don't know why you stop it too, because typically, you know, the first first shots on the house. Second one's on you, <laughs> and then you're hooked, and you just go for the duration, well, right? But something, but something turned me off. Something went Bruckheimer to me, right? Something made it start to feel like why I don't want to watch Transformers movies. It just felt too big and not. Even though it had all the trappings of pirate stuff, it didn't feel like a piratey tale. It felt like a Hollywood movie set in. It felt exactly like what it is, right? Yeah, yeah. How dare you swipe it, my it, bodice? Now let's rip off Indiana Jones. You know, something about it just didn't. So, so what I told myself, I like what I see from this new trailer. Personally, I like Javier Bardem's, like, uh, he looks like he's been drowned and his hair is floating around thing. I, you know, I don't know. I, I'm going to give the new one a try, and I'm going to go back and watch the ones I missed before I do it. Oh, I wouldn't do that. I oh, wouldn't no. recommend that at all. I would just go, I'd just go from two to five. <laughs> but, you know, it's hard for me to do that, man, at least once. Well, anyway, so. I but I don't, I don't, yeah. but here again, there's the, this is the, uh, the, the great thing about those films is that you don't need to know what happened. That's <laughs> true. Prior one really... to sit there and understand what's going on. The, the <laughs> IQ common denominator here is something, you know, above um, autonomous respiration. Sure. So you don't, you don't need to really. For those at home, about, that's low. <laughs> that's low. You don't really need to worry about the, the, the interwoven complexities of plot development and missing a vital piece in the previous film. That's just not going to happen. Wait a minute. So when when was Zoe Saldana in it as a as a witchy poo like as a sort of somdi cut the entrails voodoo? That that, that was two through four that they, they oh, okay. her character right. It was a very minor. I think it's a very minor role in two, and then it got larger in three, and then it became dominant in four. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, two three. Oh, uh, I don't I don't even think she was in four. Sorry, it okay. was two three. Yep. I thought for a minute maybe I backslid, backslid into number into one of the later films, and I don't think I did. Okay, so you're not excited, but I'm not. No, no. Uh, so I, I will probably see it. It's just not something. I mean, take a look at the wealth of riches we have in movies uh, yes. coming out, right? Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't make the the must see list. Mm. Uh, if, if I have a Sunday afternoon in uh, Little Rock, Arkansas, at a conference that I have nothing better to do, I might see that. Okay, but here's the thing that's weird about that. Uh, do you see it on the on the plane, or do you wait and see it on your big TV? So, a film of that quality and caliber, I would probably be willing to see in any format. <laughs> see, but that's the thing. There, I've watched. But I will, but, but I will see it more than once. Uh, but if right? it was garbage, you won't. No. Trust me, I've seen garbage on the plane, and I verified it was garbage on the big screen. <laughs> so that's what I'm getting at, because I have a lot of stuff that I watched on the plane because I wasn't willing to spend the free time at home to do it. And then I was like, well, okay, this would have worked a lot better big. And then I started thinking, man, I should see it big just because that's all it has going for it is, mm-hmm. is, is, is you know, the in-your-face the in widescreen effect. So then I think, well, so now I've suckered into watching the same bad movie twice. So I don't know. I don't know. So then I struggle with movies like that. It's like I know I'm not going to go out to the theater to see it, but am I going to wait and watch it at home or is it going to be relegated to travel? Yeah. Yeah, These are the it, problems we have. It is. It's living in the 21st century. But, I, I mean, I will say that I am I am hopeful that it's better than I expect because I really like the cast. Yeah. You know, and Javier, Jeffrey, the, you know, big fans. And then, of course, you got the the depth factor. And I think Orlando Bloom's going to show up. 
Keith Richards. I think Orlando's going to show up for about 30 seconds before they, you know, in two minutes. I know, but I, but wait, not to tip our hand on uh, yes. on Alien Covenant. I, I, I was expecting James Franco to be uh, the other. <laughs> okay, wait, hold on. So, okay, wait. We're, right? in, we're in not yet spoiler country, but right. uh, actually, but, you know, every other review has started with right. good news. It's got something going for it. They they <laughs> they vented James Franco <laughs> in the first ten minutes of the movie. And you know, when that's when almost every reviewer who even hated the film felt that was one of the positives. I don't know what it says about the film or about James Franco. <laughs> and hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to come to to Franco's defense. I, I know. Yeah, I like it plenty. I like it plenty. I don't know why. It's he like Shia LaBeouf. I, I'm a big uh, yeah. Well, you know. it's like these actors who decide to try to be avant-garde in their personal life somehow get slapped around. But uh, who cares? Oh, but I think we can have a broader societal conversation about being in a box that you're denoted as acceptable. And then when you go outside the box, it you know violates social norms. And so you get marginalized as a result. But anyway. I do feel so sorry for them in the, in the yeah. way they've been marginalized. Yeah, I know. Um, it's, like it's I do every it. time they say, it's not fair. I can't have a personal life, etc. My... My identity is my commodity, but uh, don't follow me at home. I don't know. And, right. I, and I grew up in Westwood, so I guess I'm a little bit uh, desensitized to that sort of feeling. But in my mind, I prefer the I prefer the celebrities that are like, well, this is my trade. So, you know, no, you, you they, got they nod and smile at TMZ and keep going, you know. You got to embrace it. And, and, you know, Franco does a lot of side projects that enhance his public visibility. You can't pull back and say, now the... I'm a private citizen. That's just no, totally. Play and out. neither it of those guys work. do. I think yeah. the difference, though, I'm not quite sure why there's such a pushback on Franco because it's almost like people wouldn't let go of him from like the freaks and geeks and some of the other roles he played where he was a dipshit, uh, and they and they can't let go of that because Shia LaBeouf, he, he, some of the stuff he does is just asinine. He's asking for bad attention. He's making a point of it. I don't see James Franco doing that. I just see him doing whatever he wants to do. And if it's a and if it's a little too arty. In his mind and falls flat. Well, you know, whatever. Hollywood has mm-hmm. an attention span of three minutes. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Right. But with Shia LaBeouf's bullshit, it it sticks to him because he does those really horrible things like live streaming all the Transformers movies while he's crying or <laughs> walking around with a paper bag on his head and all that stuff. I mean, it is really it's really precious. Yeah. I don't see James Franco doing anything. I like watching LaBeouf, but with Franco, I like him just fine. And I don't quite grasp why there's this hatred of him. Yeah, well, maybe he's too much of a renaissance man for the 21st century. I think there could be an element of that. But, you know, in Shai's defense, I will say uh, Fury. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right? right? Uh, it's, it's just like, you know, I can't believe we're going here already, but Tom Cruise, everybody hates him for, you know, all these supposed, you know, whatever. But, I mean, come on, Tropic Thunder? Well, Magnolia? I, even the, even yeah. the MI series? I mean... There's almost uh, nothing that he's done that I didn't thoroughly enjoy. He's one of my favorite yeah. actors to watch. Yeah. I hate to read about him. I hate to think about him, yeah. how he may or may not be. You know what, though? Let me back up for just a second. I've said this before. But the before. whole Scientology thing, though, that's just got to stop. Well, it's terrible. But but throw a rock in Hollywood, and you'll hit someone who seems reasonably intelligent and sophisticated and free-thinking who's a member of the Scientology tax evasion cult. Uh, and th- do me a favor, throw it hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I stole that from Martin Spink. But okay, but so... Like I, I just read that um, Elizabeth Moss Moss is a Scientologist and she's yeah. doing great stuff. Yeah. So there, I, I agree. When you read about that stuff, particularly when they get high level like him, it's 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 horrifying. <laughs> There's no way you can explain it out. But uh, one thing I will say is 
that I know someone who was a personal assistant of Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman years ago in the uh, I shouldn't specify exactly when, but yeah, don't, the, don't, don't the point is because yeah. someone's going to listen. One of those, yeah. it's going to get spread to thousands upon thousands of listeners, and it's going to get going to go viral. Way. It's going to go viral, man. He was apparently the sweetest plum. The 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 public concept after their divorce that he was the weird, he was the difficult one, and Nicole Kimmon was this was the. Precious Snowflake was possibly not correct, as is often the case. And apparently, he was super conscientious on set. Like, every time it would be cut, he's asking how the extras are doing, and he's mm-hmm. walking around, making sure everybody's cool. Mm-hmm. Very Owning these things at a time when he wasn't even yet 100% just running everything, right? right? And when my buddy had to quit his job and wanted to go back to school, Tom Cruise paid for his college education. Yeah. And we're not talking about like a 17-year-old. We're talking about a guy in his 20s who's like, yeah. you know what? I think I need to get serious about my career and I'm going to go to school. And he's like, okay, here you go. It's paid for. I mean, yep. it, you know, in the world of uh, philanthropy, that's nothing. But as as a sign of how he thinks about people he works with and and his but attitude human to human. about people. Human to human, it's a really big deal. It is. Right? It is. The way he's portrayed, and the, I mean, and there's no way around it. You see the footage, right? And you read about it. There's no, the way that persona of his involvement in that church and all of the stuff that's going on, it's it's like Jekyll and Hyde. Yep. It was not the character he's playing, but it's, it is, it's hard to, I don't know how to pull those together. Well, but, but I, I'll just say that, I, you know, I think that here, here's my justification for it. I think Scientology is just a, a tax, right. <laughs> a tax shelter. And then also uh, affirmation cycle, and then great parties, and sure. and they're big fans of L. Ron Hubbard. Oh yeah, so, but also, you know, but I also yeah. think that there's a fair amount of that of that omerta psychology, right? Oh, absolutely. So they know it's. I don't think any of those people believe the science fiction. I mean, it's 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 right out there in the open that he made it all up, and it's obvious. It was an obvious shtick, and they've built this whole mechanism around it. I don't think anybody seriously believes <clears> it. But I think that they are they have to double and triple down so that the house of cards doesn't implode on itself. Right. Which is sort of right. like what happened in, in professional cycling the second time around. All of the craziness around Lance Armstrong wasn't because they really thought that no one knew that everybody was doping and that, you know, that the end wasn't nigh no matter what, because it was they were being circled. The idea was you can't you can't let one person break ranks because once you do, everybody's screwed and you mm-hmm. want to stall that as long as possible. Or the GOP of the 21st century. Sure. So you'll just leave it at that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah right. So, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. But anyway, it's just it's interesting how you get these uh, very jarring difference of opinions um, without just focusing on the body of work and the content and the caliber of that work. And I think Franco stands, you know, completely defensible and 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 significant in that regard. So, yeah, I don't get why everybody just likes to throw breaks. I mean, Spring Breakers, man. I mean, come on. I haven't seen that. I want to see it. It feels like the spiritual sequel to uh, Pain and Gain that we saw together and finished the bullet, bullet, <laughs> bullet towards. Right? And don't get me started on The Rock for President. I'm already <laughs> uh, Did you I'm watch already, that? Yeah, oh, yeah. You watched and, John Oliver, right? Uh, no, that was Saturday Night Live. Oh, that dude. was Saturday Night Live. Right, right, right. Right. And so if, it, if it's a Rock Hanks ticket in 2020. If that was just, real, they would just own it. Right. No, it would be over. That they would, it would be like the, the biggest landslide in 
modern politics. It would be, I mean, come on. I kind of feel like Tom Hanks and a literal rock would probably sweep. But you never know. Maybe not in certain states. I don't know. Well, there is a lot of it. Okay. And then uh, also. Uh, so we're, still in, we're still in current events, right? That's right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I haven't even started my list. So uh, 25 minutes in. Uh, so you do watch John Oliver, though, right? Oh, religiously. So this last one. That's, was, my, that's my Scientology. Yeah, right. So this last one was extraordinary. Mm-hmm. The first time that he, like he said, he's going to spend this week tonight or last week tonight talking about last week tonight. Like he didn't yep. even have, he didn't even get to his main, his main research topic. He just talked about the week the entire time and then blasted the research topic of, on the TSA in three minutes, which was great. But it was really sobering. It went over, by the way. It went over by eight seconds. It wasn't three minutes. So just uh, okay. So <laughs> science nerd. So I, but I mean, watching it, you know, we we're we're paying attention, but watching his thing about how every day, every day of the week there was a there was a shoe dropping, and every day the yet the previous day's news was off the cycle. Was, I mean, just have to re, to, to 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 recapture that that way was really sobering it was funny what he did but at the same time i just i was left fuming anyway do you know what i mean oh yeah we live in this weird wormhole of uh species and politics that just combine themselves in a way that is un- unprecedented in human history i mean i don't i don't even think the greeks at the at the height of all their turmoil had anything like this and the maybe at the end of the the roman empire they had shit like this happen but um this is this is just ape shit banana butt crazy. <laughs> the funny thing is I you know not that long ago I made a reference at work that um I said that I, I keep feeling like saying that that uh that uh that Trump is fiddling while Rome burns but the reality is in that context Nero knew what was happening. Trump is spending his time insisting that there's no fire. It's it's astonishing. Uh yeah, I mean that that's his public persona but Look at how many lawyers no, yeah, he's going right. to hire, and everything. I mean, no, no, you're right. you're right. the dude, the dude has a survival instinct of a great white shark. Yeah, he knows. So, what yeah, it, and yet it's at the same time, it's it's just every day. It's, it's like he did that for someone who's <laughs> apparently so smart. He does, he did that, you know. But well, I mean, but it also I mean, shows that he spent all his career being surrounded by sycophants who have who have enabled him to believe that creating fiction, stating it, and making it so. Was was a viable option in business? Well, right. But the, the, there is a school of thought out there that says he is deliberately and intentionally and mindfully acting like this, so he can compl- he can use naivete, ignorance, and being an outsider to not go to jail. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Possible. So, so not to show any deliberate or malevolent intent. Just like, what do you mean it was illegal? Uh, I'm just you know some poor blowjob from uh, New Jersey. I don't know what's going on. So I don't um, know. It's all right. Okay. But the, but the but the stuff just keeps growing and that that whole surreal experience where he fires Comey and then has <laughs> Russians in the White Office and then exposes Israeli intel and then tells <laughs> Comey's a nut job and that he's no longer going to be persecuted for Russia and then the, and then all the, the And thank you for telling me three times that I'm not under investigation. That's what you said but, seriously signed XOXO. But those photos released by Taz looked like they were having a frat party with upside down bong shots. I mean, it was just, you know, Hey, how's it going? I'm desperately, I, my, my brain is desperately trying to get us off this topic because I know that at least half of our listeners are probably not in California, but 
I will get. I will say one thing, which is I was quite amused today to see the 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 item that wasn't even the number one news blip that came over my thing, which was that Jeff Sessions oh, was revealed God. to have you, you know yeah. not he had not reported his contacts with Russia. So that cracked me up because of course he had them, but also which is why the same reason why I don't see how if things go nu- nuclear we're going to be left with Pence. It's going to work its way all the way down to Warren Hatch or someone, right? But the thing is, he, he recused himself. So now he's in a position where he could be subpoenaed. But he recused himself, but he still offered input into the Comey firing. Right. But he, so, recused, what, he recused himself in the investigation, which makes it that much easier to subpoena him, right? If he had been well, part of the investigation, for, it would have been even messier. But executive privilege, I think they're going to claim that all the way, and they're just going to, they're going to fight that too for now. Hey, but, I, but 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 here's the thing that I love on that transcript with Kislyak. Was it just last week? I mean, it's just hard to fathom. <laughs> you know, it's um, like hyper accelerated, right? Oh, that, that's that's what I'm saying. We live we live in a wormhole filled with feces and whipped cream. It's just <laughs> what uh, <laughs> the uh, so the whole the whole thing of like joking around with Kislyak, like, hey, I'm the only one in my administration you haven't bought. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I just, I just don't know, man, and and I'm and I'm pretty close to it, and it's just crazy. It's just absolutely crazy. But anyway, let's go to entertainment news. Let's hey, talk Blake. About- hey, Blake Cyber Simmons, let's turn that frown around and talk about entertainment stuff, standard nerd cool. stuff, which cool. was what Scurvy Scuttlebutt was about before we went right off the rails in robot cracking style, which I don't even feel bad about at all. And we're forty minutes into it, and we haven't said anything about anything sci-fi or. <laughs> Well, I don't know. It's pretty cyberpunk to me, man. What are you talking about? Well, I, I think all, like, my, all the books of my youth were about, you know, corporate corporate overlords and ineffectual lying government structures and um, desperate needs to escape reality. So, yeah. But, but, dude, but dude, Dostoevsky, yeah. uh, like Orwell, none of them could have ever envisioned. Like the Manchurian candidate seems like a best case scenario for us right now. You know what it reminds me of? I mean, God. What it reminds me of when this started, there was the whole idiocracy comparison, right? And they were gonna, Mike Judge was gonna make those commercials, and then he didn't do it. And then there was this whole thing where when he when he actually landed, and the Democratic ticket imploded, and we said, okay, well, what is what is late night gonna do when the jokes are written for them? It's like not even it's not even funny, but it's not when you look at the literary parallels about what's happening now. I'm not. I guess it's not literary, but the references of what's happening now to, to to concepts that we're familiar with, it's not Orwell to me. It's not Dostoevsky, like you said. You know what it reminds me of? I feel like we're living 24. Because in 24, the president, they, the president slipped in the one that looked like Nixon, right? He slipped yep. in accidentally, right? Because because the the president was killed, and so he slipped in as the vice, and then he completely went off the rails and was insecure, paranoid, aggressive, megalomaniac, you know, and then eventually has to be whatever it is, you know, beheaded or whatever happened at the end of that season. (laughs) You know, leading into this, when it first started happening, I started thinking, oh, let's see how House of Cards this is going to get. And what's House of Cards going to do when the reality is stranger than them? Kevin Spacey's like, we got we got nothing. We got nothing to show. This feels like 24. This feels like 24, where it felt so unrealistic to me 
about what they were proposing that the president was doing and able to say and able to do in a surveillance state. How could he possibly be saying and doing these things? And yet here we are. Yeah. All right. But, I, I, but I'll, take it, I'll take it one step further. I think it's like a combination of 24, scandal, man in the high castle, veep, and Monty Python's Flying Circus. <laughs> I think it's... The... <laughs> I love veep so much. I haven't watched Scandal, but I love Veep. I know she likes wine and the sex, but I haven't watched it. But I love well, but Veep. But who does it? I mean, who does it? Come mean, on. Yeah, yeah. With the certain yeah. parties. Yeah. So, uh, but I love Veep, and I only got, like, I fell off of that. It was one of those ones I watched when I was traveling all the time. I fell off of it, and I can't wait to get back on it because I don't think, I, when I'm watching Veep, I feel like there's very few shows that are at its caliber. No, it's brilliant, yeah. and, but it, and it's very appropriate. And the, and the irony here just real quick, a, a last segue comment, sure, a sure. tangent. It's, yeah, is that you know Steve Bannon made his money initially off of Seinfeld. I know it hurts, right? It hurts, right? I know. I know. And Reiner, when he was on Bill Maher a couple of weeks ago, he's like, "So this is the thing that pains me the most <laughs> is that we enabled I funded some, this, <laughs> cre- like we, we enabled a creature like Bannon to climb out of the ooze and don the human coat and uh, form Breitbart." Every time time I'm at the supermarket and I see those rags, you know, mutant baby, eat six in a fridge or whatever it is. I look at that and I think there's his empire. And then I think about his his apocalypse fantasies and all that, the the cycle theory and everything that he's into. And I think, you know, what hope do we have when that's who's whispering in his ear? Right. But then he seems to be going off the rails even from what? (laughs) what his evil handlers are trying to get him to do. So who knows? But hey, wait. So Blake Cyber okay. Sims, I, I have a question for you. I have a question for you. Have you noticed this week there's been some hubbub related to The Last Jedi? Have you noticed that? There has been a blurb of activity on the interweb. It's almost like, you know, like everybody was like, where's the 40th anniversary hoopla? Like, what are we going to get? We're going to get some, like, surprise news about a Boba Fett film, or we're going to get like footage from Han Solo, or we're going to get some spectacular new, exciting news. And what they announced was, here's another box set to buy. <laughs> no, Disney, Disney's too smart yeah. to give away that leverage over captive audience. Right. right? But, I mean, there's, there's no way. But this week has been some fun stuff. At least for me, I've been pretty thrilled. That First of all, the, the Last Jedi trailer that came out a couple weeks ago, or a month ago, whatever it was, I love that. And then this week they've had the Vanity Fair article when they had all those really great uh, photos. What's her name? Took the photos, right? Leibowitz, right? Yeah. Yeah. And those covers are amazing. And everybody was focusing on the Leia cover, right? Because for obvious reasons. But the one that really struck me, they're great. Love you, Kit. And I love the the shipping fan fiction thing going on with uh, Poe and Finn because – uh, Poe's wearing Finn's outfit from the previous movie. <laughs> so they're like, well, I see how that happened. He doesn't have bedhead hair because he doesn't have the hair for it. But but hey, hey, hey. The, the one that I for, like... For us, for us follicle challenge folks, you know, that's okay. Uh, no, he just he has a tight curl. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. So the, the one that I was most interested in was the one with Ray and Luke because I, I, I feel like I'm the guy that made all the lost theories that were better than the show ended up with, right? I like to think things, <laughs> overthink them. But I look at that cover and I think that they deliberately did it that Luke's looking away and everyone else is looking at the camera. In all four yeah. covers, everyone's looking at the camera and then Luke's looking off away. And I, you know, I just thought that was interesting. I like that. That was a neat detail. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, I, I think it's it speaks to that there's going to be, uh, and and this happened out in one through three as well that 
everybody's preconceived notions of the balance in the force, which is utterly predictable in one through three, and then you know manifested through four through six with the the arc of Anakin, which is what George Lucas says the whole movie series was about, right? He loves his retcons and his midichlorians. No, it was a, it was now. Well, come on, but let's not go into the microbiology of it. But um, it was Anakin's story, right? One through six was all about Anakin at the end of the day. In in the hands of less less uh, myopic meddling and a more, I guess, uh, less malleable and more structured storytelling narrative, it could have been a wonderful. Shakespearean oh, tragedy. It, it could have been Othello, right? Yeah, you it, can totally it, see, you can see it on paper, and it didn't work out that right. way. The fact well, that you can't get and, and and half of that's the casting, right? Hayden Christian, Hayden Christensen. He's actually I like Looper quite a bit. It's I feel really really bad for the guy, right? And he's had been oh, no. good terms on, yeah. at the at the at the recent Star Wars uh, celebration. You know, he was he was signing uh, jars of sand and everything for people. <laughs> he's been a pretty good sport about something that basically derailed his career. But yeah, if you imagine, if you imagine Anakin cast with a with a different actor, and assume that perhaps the script would be tighter and the direction would be different and the editing would be different, you could see that yeah. story being a compelling narrative. See, I, that, but I'm uh, I'm much more simplistic in my blame factor. Mm-hmm. I, I put this all at George's feet. Yeah, because because the directing, I don't know how you take Natalie Portman and turn her into a rock. I don't I don't I don't know. I, don't, I actually I actually didn't think it was feasible under the laws of thermodynamics. It's cuz he but ripped the he ripped the 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 Princess Leia style white uh bodysuit to reveal her at the time rock hard abs and that's and it just took over. But I mean come on, it I mean especially with someone who had experience with Carrie Fisher, yeah. uh Harrison Ford, right? I, and Mark Hamill. I just I just don't understand how he sucked the emotion and the passion out of all the motivations for these folks. And I read a really great review. I reread it just a couple of months ago about three, right? Revenge yeah. of the Sith, um, that they almost made a great movie. Mm. And that if they would have taken it just one increment further about maybe the core motivation for Anakin was this perceived uh, intrusion by Obi-Wan with, you know Natalie's character. Yeah, yeah, I love and, that theory. And, and, turn it, and turn it into a and turn it into a romance driven or passion driven thing, as opposed to she's going to die and make her forever, yep. right? Yeah, if it solves really a lot of that, yep. that right? And, and that jealousy and that giving over to anger because of the pettiness and insecurity, especially with his mother. You know, going the way absolutely. She, I, I think I think oh my god, they could have. Completely transformed. The when Star I saw world. that, when I saw that video talking about that theory, I was like, "Well, that just changed everything for me. That'll make yeah. it easier to watch." So I've been watching. Well, I tried to watch it with the kids. Right? I got through uh, Phantom Menace, and then we started. Okay. I, attack- I actually can't watch that. Yeah. I know we've had this conversation. Before. I actually can't watch that movie. I got now that's a pod through, race, and I had to I had to turn it off. <laughs> <laughs> but the pod racing was good. Well, and then uh, now, come on, it was fun. And then uh, the guy with the forearms and pod racing had the, the, the guy that was like an ice cream or a diner vendor there for no reason. Okay, I so. I considered a milkmaid. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, so, let, let's, go, let's go to the. Let's no, go no, to but, the... but I couldn't get past the first 10, like the 10, 15 minutes into Clone Wars. It defeated my kids where F- Phantom Menace's trade delegation commentary didn't even kill them. <laughs> but Clone Wars, 10 minutes in, and my kids were asleep. And I was like, well, and we haven't gone back to it. 
I want to give them, I want to have the fresh eyes. And even though I know it's going to be hot garbage, I want to see it with my kids' eyes because kids are more forgiving. Because there's a whole generation of people, young people, the millennials that are supposedly ruining our urban centers, they grew up with the prequels, right? Maybe that's why. Maybe that's why. I think there may be a causal linkage. I, I, have, a, uh, I have a challenge for you. Here's a okay. sudden death stunt casting challenge. Who would you have cast as Anakin? I don't mean baby Anakin, but I mean, you know, the the prequels version of him overall, the young tortured soul. Come on. Use your instincts. James, Fr- James Franco. Give me a fucking break. Nope. He would if there was a tortured soul character in an element about conflict. I could see I think it. He, I think he could have pulled it off much better than Christian. I could see that. All right, so here's here's mine. Hayden. Yeah. Here's mine. Uh and oh, by the way, I think there could have been better chemistry between Natalie and James. Yeah, they didn't feel it at all. Yeah, right. But I mean, uh, it, the, Natalie was kissing a plank of wood. She was, and it was very frustrating because those of us who grew up with her, growing up in the movies, had a different experience with her in general. Right? Maybe I'll be in my bunk. Oh, no. So, yeah, no, but I'm, I'm just, I'm just going to say Natalie is a really good actress, and it's really hard to imagine how you. Well, could. she's very charismatic. She's. I yeah. would say, it, it, you know, you watch Emma Stone in interviews, and you feel like you've known her your whole life. Natalie right. Portman doesn't come off that way, but she comes off as very charismatic and she didn't feel that way in the movie. And it wasn't just acting stoic for her character's sake. So I'll say, editing. I'll say some, some of the press around Thor, the two that she was in, she was much more at ease with herself. And then black Swan as well. I think after that whole journey and yeah. arc in her career, like on the other side, she's done some stuff with Danny McBride. I mm-hmm. can't even remember that movie. That was us. What was it? Like the last, uh, reach around. I don't know. Yeah. It was. Uh, <laughs> That's a sugar DVD search, right? The uh, I still don't know if that a, exists. She's got a very great self-deprecating humor, and I think, she uh, does. yeah. So anyway, go ahead. Okay, That's so my choice. my casting choice spontaneous, but it hit me like a rock when we were talking. Uh, Dane DeHaan. Yeah, good choice. Right? Think about yeah. how he is when I mean. So the I didn't particularly like uh, the second. Uh, Garfield Spider-Man movie, mm-hmm. but I bought him as a fairly charming but but affected or sort of sensitive, a little bit neurotic guy that slipped into jealousy and paranoia and got really fucked up in a hurry. And I can totally see him doing that arc. I can see him. I can see him pulling off charisma. I can see him being. Uh, engaged and wanting to be a Jedi and being really, um, you know, convinced this was going to change his life and that he had the, that he had meaning and he had, you know, this destiny. And then as it starts to fall apart through things like the betrayal of, of, uh, Obi-Wan by getting together with Bodmi, which I choose to believe happened and other things, I can see him playing that falling apart, that, that neurotic jealousy and getting straight up cold. Right. No, the, Tortured, right? That that's what we're looking for the character. So the another interesting thing, and I just went back to take a look at the age, uh, it, because I think Michael Shannon, mm-hmm. as a younger actor, could have also pulled that off. I can't think of him well. as a younger actor. Was he in anything? No, I'm just saying if you if you transport oh. him back, you know, but now it's twenty years, right? How could we not have Michael Shannon as a sweet ass Star Wars villain though? I mean, I liked him as I really liked him as Zod. But can I mean he's just, no? I'm thinking I'm thinking him. Midnight Special. I'm thinking of Midnight Special and and, and that uh, role. I'm thinking of Boardwalk Empire uh. and how and how he just played like basically a crucified, weird hybrid antagonist protagonist throughout. Mm. 
I think. Uh, wow. It's a good yeah. choice. Yeah. All right. We had three excellent choices that were better than what they did for the prequels. There you go. Yeah. So another couple of things that came out of that Star Wars stuff was there was the the first photos of, uh, is it Laura Dern? Oh, this fell apart in a hurry. Yeah, they, they, so I'm trying to specify. Admiral Abilene Holdo. Yeah. And it looks really, now granted, um, Lee Woods' uh, photos are always so amazing. They look, make things look better than they are. But she looks so incredible. For my taste in terms of design and a lot of the stuff that I do, I do a lot of mono and duochrome work, and I love focusing on certain colorways and then having something else punch. She's got purple hair in this tight, curly thing, mm-hmm. and then she's got these long purple and violet and sort of like smoky draped robes. It's just really, really fascinating, the the way that the cape structure is, is done. She just looks absolutely incredible to me. It looks great. And then also Benicio del Toro, they said his name DJ. I don't know what the hell that means, but you know he looks like Benicio del Toro slumming it, and it looks fine. That's exactly I, what we want. I think he's Darth Judicious. <laughs> I was gonna say, <laughs> I was gonna say Supreme Emperor Phallus. <laughs> no, yeah. no, no, Darth Judicious. I think <laughs> uh, you know. Let's turn the whole thing around and like, like make it fair and balanced. Well, and then the last thing I liked was the, there was that really great photo that looks like it's some. It's some sort of Baroque party, and it's the the planet named Canto Bight. Once again, it's the whole planet's based around a basic concept, but it's the casino planet, Canto Bight. And uh, there's this, uh, I forget the name. I, at this moment, I can't remember the name of the alien, but of all the, so you have a, the, the Moss Eisley style sort of mix of weird aliens and, and humans mm-hmm. all partying, but they're all dressed really like, uh, you know, mid eighteen or mid early to mid eighteen hundreds formal wear, right? And then really wild hairdos, and then they have a bunch of alien creatures there, and then the the one that apparently is going to play a role, he's basically a goat. <laughs> I love it. You know, I just I love it. He's like he's he's like uh, he he's like Elo Asti was going to be for me, even if it wasn't the Beastie Boys reference. Just the fact that the guy had this giant you know throw up face, I knew he was going to be my favorite. Well, I mean, but you're forgetting the biggest is of all is that Tom Hardy is going to follow in the footsteps of Daniel Craig and the Stormtrooper number 23. <laughs> Do you think that's the case? No, that it, it's there. It's in IMDb that Tom Hardy is going to play the Stormtrooper. How could they? I mean, I get that Daniel Craig was a walk-on just for fun because they were next door. But how could you put Tom Hardy in a Stormtrooper uh, uniform or armor without knocking him around, have the helmet fall off, have him pissed off, have, give him something. Dude, he's kind of a busy guy. He is kind of a busy I, guy. I, I get it. it it's probably going to be some weird scene with Andy Serkis and yeah. Don Hall Beeson and some furry, you know, weird mind bender thing. It'll be cool. Well, so I didn't even have that on the list, but that happened. It's like the news cycle for uh, politics. That happened like three days ago, and I didn't even think to put it here. But Tom Hardy is Venom in the Fox uh, non Spider Verse, so that's yeah. that's an interesting uh, that's an interesting thing in it because the the concept of that whole that whole universe is of course terribly flawed. And it's going to ruin. It's just going to crash and burn. The Spider Verse without Spider Man, terrible, terrible idea. Fox running it, terrible. No writer credits yet, terrible. But I will say, yeah, I basically have nothing to add other than terrible. <laughs> no, but listen, if we get nothing but if the only redeeming thing is that Tom Hardy plays Venom the way John Bernthal played Punisher, then we'll have that to look forward to. 
Because I feel like they're going to go the Agent Venom direction, which is the current or the more modern version of Venom in the comics where it's on Flash Thompson post-war, very tact like black ops kind of guy. So even though he's got the symbiote on him, he's 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 using guns and he's being very he's being very military and then he sometimes loses control and then the tendrils come out, but he's mostly trying to rein it in. I feel like that's the direction they would go with him, even though it's going to be Eddie Brock as the character. I don't know. I don't know. No, no, I know. I, I, I get that whole um, character angst development. I get, you know, that there are elements of that in Fantastic Four, the the reboot that was, yeah. you know, no bueno. Um, and and that's a common recurring archetype in a lot of these that put in the really weird situations, making the best of the worst situation, and still um, trying to maintain some level of integrity or ethos, but then always succumbing to you know, the pit. Yeah. Um, Tom Hardy knows about succumbing to the pit. I, I do, but I, I, I agree. It's just, it's like, why couldn't it be a project in the hands of a studio that knew what they were doing and a writer's team who knew what they were doing? Like, why couldn't Tom Hardy have been roped into one of the Marvel franchise films or even, you know, I don't well, know, the, smart uh, casting in the DC universe where they turn it around. I don't know. But, why but does it have to be the Fox? But, but, but here's what I would have hoped is that, Tom Hardy had a vision around the role and a passion for it, yeah. uh, much like Ryan Reynolds did for yeah. right, 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 yeah. Uh, and and then he was like the driving creative force for it, and and a producer, not just an executive producer, and had control over the content and the screenplay. If that would have been the case, I would feel much more comfortable with it. Whereas I well, think well, like Affleck just... had with Batman before he imploded, right? Like where he. Where the guy well, playing let's, the let's character like, had like had a vision for how it was going to go, right? Oh, and I mean, Tom come on! I mean, you know, on his own on his own productions, he has done fairly well oh, no, in creating a product good. that was great. In both, both and the town, yeah, and the town. Chris and but I keep I, threatening to do a town versus heat episode where we oh. eviscerate the town in favor of heat. Uh, spoiler alert: that's what's going to happen. But I still I, quite I, I, enjoyed I, it. I, I think that's a tough hill to climb, my friend. I think. Well, yeah, it is. For, um, for fuck's sake, I, man, it's the heat. But I just think if, if that was the case and the circumstance around it, if Tom Hardy was much more in a driver position of it, I'd feel much more at peace with it. I, I, but I don't think that's the case. My problem is the only way I see it working, I don't have a lot of love for Venom, but the only way I see it working is that he's an antagonist. And I don't know how you do a Venom could, movie... Where but a conflicted antagonist, like the more yeah. of a victim, well, a sure, victim, a victim redemptive story, more like Spawn. Well, okay, so right? don't don't Spawn me, but uh, the but so well, we don't you... know how John Bernthal's Punisher solo season is going to be, but if you consider the context of Daredevil it's be a season lot two, than Iron Fist, I'll guarantee you that. Sure, but in the context of season two, Daredevil, he was a major player, but he was an antagonist. That level of the, you followed the camera, followed him around, you saw what his motivations were. It gave a lot of screen time to his to his conflict, but he was still a conflict force. And I don't see how you're going to do the Venom movie without letting him do that. Because when I think of Tom Hardy and I think of what I what I love to see him do, it's when he dives into his character and just goes ape shit with his his generated internal sea of conflict that he spews yeah. out. Uh, I most recently, I mean, like so many uh, of his roles are like that, but most recently it was Peaky Blinders. I finished the latest season of Peaky Blinders and his character doesn't get a lot of time. You watch that? You saw it, right? 
Mm-hmm. Okay, so he doesn't get a ton of time. He's a, he's a minor character in that arc, but every but time he shows up, every time he shows up, he steals everything. The oxygen in the room just just sucks right up, right? Yeah. And that slow that he does, it's like it's the playbook from Tarantino's True Romance script, right? It's the starting soft and getting cr- slowly scarier and scarier and scarier when you realize that the mm-hmm. that the the politeness and the formality is a facade and that's a fucking lion in the yep. room, right? So that's what I want. I mean, if he's going to do this movie, I want it to be that sort of... But, it, but, but so there's the other side of it. Like, is there, are they just going to go in and just explore the the id, right? Like like what, what Hardy did in The Revenant, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, there, there is no redemptive tale here. That There is nothing redeeming about that 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 arc. And so again, it's it's where are they going to put it in the archetype? Where are they going to put it right. in the character development? And and where are they going to get the origin of it? And right? if anyone can a, pull it off, it's Fox, right? right? No. <laughs> you know, you mentioned Fantastic Four, and in a previous episode, I think Chris and I maligned it. We either maligned Fantastic Four, or like I tried to defend it, and then he destroyed it, or we planned to do it and we didn't record it. I don't know, but who's to say? We don't know, but. The one thing I will give that film, other than um, looking nice, was that it, one way or the other, led to me having one of those fever dreams where I felt like it was a very realistic dream where I was engaged to or married to Mara. Jennifer. Oh, I thought Jennifer Alba. No, not those. <laughs> not those. Kate Mara in the most recent Fantastic Four. Yeah, yeah. I, Between I House of Cards and then folding into the Fantastic Four reboot, I remember after that I had one of those dreams where I was married to her or engaged or something. It was one of those things. There was no pa- there was no like no sex in the thing. There was no drama. It was like walking around at night in the fall and there's lights in the trees and you're just walking on a cool like a cool windy evening kind of thing. October well, I, evening. I, that was the dream and it was one of those dreams where the day after and to this day, if I look at that actress, I feel that intense familiarity like it's an ex-girlfriend. So if nothing else, Fantastic Four got me that. I, I have no comment on that. I have nothing. Uh, other than Chris I, other had a comment. I, he thinks she's just a, a, a walking piece of plywood. So he could not get there at all. Uh, here, here's my segue. I often have the same thing that I'm often married to Tom Hardy. <laughs> I feel like yours would have the sex and it would have the violence. Oh, right. And my wife just walked in in an embarrassing coup. <laughs> that was, that I, was I, mortifying. Thank you, honey. I feel like you guys could have one of those weird simultaneous dreams about Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy. And then you wake up and then you're like at <laughs> like in the morning looking at each other awkwardly. Awkward robot. Did you just have the same dream? Uh, hey, uh, but wait, we haven't, but we, we haven't even gone on to some of the most explosive news that's well, out there in the entertainment segment. That's true. Do you have one? No, I just know there's more. Okay. Did you see the Game of Thrones trailer? Oh my god! I tried so hard not to watch it. I I got a whole three hours in before I gave it gave up and watched the thing. I, I was I like, just, I just, like, I just can't even. I why just can't why even. is there a trailer for Game of Thrones at this point? Everyone's either going to watch it. And those who aren't watching, that minority who don't watch Game of Thrones are steadfast and they're not going to be convinced. So what's the trailer for? I couldn't help it. I watched it anyways and I loved it. But you know what, why you know, did they you know, make you know, that? You know what I think the trailer's for? Is to tell Martin what books to write. 
there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff out there that says that he's his 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 health is weak is uh you know sort of infirm enough that he's not going to finish. No, I, I think that's already a foregone conclusion. I mean, take how long it, or he just has such a block with the whole thing that he just can't finish it. Yeah, right, right. Well, that and trailer think, was great, and the the gunslinger. I mean, the Dark Tower. So I don't know anything about Dark Tower other than watching that trailer and hearing about it. And what I've read, what I've read and heard about that story sounds like <clears throat> bullshit. Like what? The guy's shooting guns and there's like little Quidditch, little Quidditch things flying out of it. And no, no, I'm sorry, my or... friend. I'm sorry, my friend. I'm a big, I'm a big Dark Tower fan, and I am so stoked to see that film. Well, the the film looks fairly good. I like the gun foo. I like. Uh, I like uh, Matt McConaughey's thing, but I'm having some trouble with the premise of it even coming out of there, not even reading the books. I'm trying to understand the... Well, yeah, I, I get We've that. We've been thing. gunslingers for thousands of years. There's been precisely zero technological innovation in thousands of years. What? But, and, but unless you've read the books, that background story you're just not going to get. I'm sorry. It's not going to come through in the trailer. So in the next three minutes, you're going to order the books, right? I will give you the books as long as I've got them all. I've got them all. All right. All right but Game of Thrones trailer. So right. oh, pretty, but, but, but pretty damn great. Pretty damn great. And uh, the one thing I, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about is how they, they, they were very respectful and mindful of how they moved through the written material yeah. and the major plot lines for the greatest extent. I mean, they kind of stayed true to the content. Mm-hmm. And now that they're free of the content, they're like, "Oh my God, let's get to the end!" Like, uh, I don't think that's I. That's not my oh, interpretation at all. No, no, no. no. They I, two seasons left, my friend. I can't understand. No, no, I get it, but I can't understand that. It feels like a plotting nightmare from the beginning. Like I loved every season. <laughs> I've enjoyed the pace of the seasons. I didn't feel they were too slow. I was perfectly content with the structure of each of those seasons. When they suddenly abruptly announced that they had two micro seasons to go, that's when the the floor drops. Yeah, of course it's going to be this this smashing of everything to get to the end. It, for the I, honestly, before they even announced this these two micro seasons, I thought that we were going to get one of these things where they're going to reach the conclusion of the whole show just as the walkers come over the wall, right? Like they won't even ever get there. Like there was no way based on this but on how much time they've given it that you would even get the great war. That okay, you would even so- get the 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 big, the bigger threat, the finale, the, the finale, right. right? Winter, winter has come. Yeah. So, so but, but, here's, but, but here's my deal: the, I'm conflicted because of all the nuanced character development, sure, and plot development, and richness in the background stories, and how the right. game is played, right? The blender, and all the, right, the blender's right? spun up. So now, what's going to happen? You're right. going to less of that interaction mm-hmm. for everybody, right? And and and, and all just gets swept asunder to this this primal conflict of ten people. Right. Uh, involved in it, and you're going to lose all that backstory drama, right? And and so that, that that's my only concern. I think it's going to be fantastic no matter what. I think they know what they're doing. I think they have an endpoint in mind, and they know how to get there. But my only my only angst is that I, I I wish they could take their time in being deliberate and methodical about closing up all the loose strings. But maybe that's her point. Maybe they don't want to do that. Well. Do, and Rick and uh, and Rick and I think in particular, I think there's no way they're going to be able to close the loop on that effectively. But you know, well, that's yeah. So here's I had an idea. 
it's probably not likely, maybe 10% likely, uh, when they start that season, we should live watch and then record thoughts after. I'm all, I'm all for that. Because I'm all for that. that's one of those shows where I, where I end it now that I've got, once I got caught up and burned through the DVDs of the first few seasons and I had to suffer through weekly, weekly viewings, I would shut it off and then sit there and fume for 20 minutes. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like what? You know, so, uh, but you know, they, they like showed the, stuff in that. Sort of like being cheers. Yeah. Sort of like being cheers. I would just watch yeah. cheers so that I'd fume, fume for 20 minutes. After. Well, sure. So, sure. uh, <laughs> <laughs> Sam, how could you do that to her? So <laughs> you know you love Diane. The uh, the yeah, and well, okay. So there were scenes in that trailer that were stuff that we've imagined that we're going to see that we finally see her uh, Daenerys touching soil, touching mm-hmm. sand not on only the mainland, touching, not only touching, getting down on all fours, and yeah. and this is my fate. It's been a while since season one, Cal right. Drogo. I see what you did. Yeah. Yeah. So and then uh Well and and also MacArthur reminiscent with an American yeah, mythos and everything. Sure. Right? I sure. will return. Yep. And then the uh and I really like the premise of how they framed the trailer where uh she's Cersei's saying we have threats to the north, threats to the south, threats to the east and the west, and they show them being closed in upon by not a unified force attacking, but different forces that are right. vying and we what I like about that off. is they've 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 positioned everything to be so anti Lannister that you almost get this perception that the good guys or the victors are, must be some combination, right? All the theories of the three dragons and who's going to be on them and it's going to be a joint ruling and all this stuff. Yeah, 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 but yeah, the yeah. bottom line is, let's not forget the 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 green fire incident at the church at the end of last oh, season. No. So Cerse- them being Cersei's, cornered is the Cersei's worst a lot thing like, you need. Cersei's a lot like Trump. Don't do Survival that. Survival instincts of a Don't great white that. shark. Well, and she fucks her relative. Well, okay. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to meta- I'm going to metaphorically slap your hand away from me. Uh, no, but she the worst thing you can do is let Cersei know you're coming, right? Right. So there's a lot of interesting things going to happen there. She's not going to go quietly and that's going to be fun to watch. Yeah. Is her preparing for that onslaught? I don't think it's going to be everybody arriving and just attacking. It's going to be conflict among those parties and her having time to plan a defense or finding ways of turning them against each other. But I'm I'm waiting for the meme of Joker's to the left of me. Stuck in the middle again. Like the whole Cersei phantasmagoria thing that's happening. All right, so then uh, we also had the Valerian trailer number three, and I will say that this is the first. No, no, but this is the first of the three that felt a little bit more cohesive. I saw things that I liked. I saw a couple of things I really liked. I like that they show that his helmet is like this battering. He's like a juggernaut kind of deal. Like he can run through anything with that helmet and then just burst through. The- so that was neat. I don't know why he's not using his jet boots the whole time, but it's it's a thing. It's well, it's good. European it's comics. Con- it's probably conservation of mass, right? It's sure, probably, that's what it you is. know, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, there's a couple things I liked about it, but it was the first of the three trailers that gave me some hope that there might be at least an interesting story there. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling that when we go see that, which we will, mm-hmm. it's going to be drink heavy first kind of thing. I feel like that's yes. going to be a one eyed movie, and that's not going to help because it looks like you need three eyes to see the whole thing. <laughs> but uh, I feel like we're going to be suffering through it because we're going to be you, drunk you, as hell. You know, you and I are different minds on this. I and I'm a big Luke Besson fan. I just 
I'm not pro Valerian. I'm just saying, you know, it, there might be something there. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm. I'm... It, it, the fundamental problem is that Americans never read heavy metal magazine unless you were a standard nerd, right? So you don't have a sense of right. You don't have a sense. <laughs> he's waving right now. <laughs> You don't have a sense of what those comics were like. You don't really understand Mobius. You don't understand the all the Technicolor and the randomness and the sex and the weird just genre shifting all the time. It's a very specific animal. And, and Absolutely. Fifth Element, Fifth Element flirted with it. No one understood it. And this is going to be another one of those but, cases. But but Fifth Element was commercially successful. That's true. You're right. It was. It was. It was. It was. And And – so here, here's my dilemma: is that when I when I when I when I look at that at those trailers, I see Wachowski influences, yeah, right, and and not in a good way, like like yeah. the, the, the the and and much respect to the brothers and sisters um, of the Wachowski clan. I just I I I, I, <laughs> I thought you were going I, a different direction. Much no, respect I, to the I, brothers I, and sisters. Well, you know, struggling throughout America. There, there have been transitions. Yeah, um, that's right. I think gender is impermanent. Right, it's fluid. Don't gender be gender fluid. normative, man. Gender fluid. This is California. Let's, yeah, let's let's go culture novel Ian Banks right like fluid. Yeah. Um, I just I just worry that they're really focused on imagery as opposed to plot development. But and Luke Besson is demonstrated that he has that propensity. And so I just worry that it's going to be one of these that is just visually stunning, but not compelling. Have you and heard the Gary Oldman story about Fifth Element when he was well, trying to film? And The Professional. Yeah, yeah. but uh, in, Both of those are very different stories, by the way. And you should read both because they, they give different arcs of the Luke story. But okay. anyway, go ahead. What are, you, what are you referring to? Just that uh, how ingrained and and visual and um, visceral the professional was as opposed to the highbrow approach around the fifth element and kind of this distance. Sure. This distance to things. I'm talking about the filming though. When oh. Gary Ullman was filming fifth element, I agree with you. Alyssa professional Lyon is, it's the film that brought my wife and I together. So yes, yeah. but so and the big blue, the big blue is actually my first Luke Besson. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there's this great story. It's just a little an aside, but something that I crack up every time I think of the Fifth Element now. In the way that you could distill professional down to Gary Oldman going, you know, and twisting and eating the pill and all that stuff that wasn't in the script. Uh, when Apparently, when he, <laughs> this weird aside that I read in, like, movie line or something where they were talking about how Gary Oldman lost his shit when filming because he was trying to film this scene where, what's his name, the character he was playing was making some speech with the gun, the big mega gun that he's holding. And, and he what kept, is the red button for? <laughs> yeah, right. And so he kept he kept losing concentration. And they're like, okay, let's try again. And then he's like, he's eating a fucking Twix. He's eating a fucking <laughs> F-A-C-K-I-N-G. He's eating a fucking Twix. And in the background, in his field of vision, beyond the cameras, Tricky's eating Twix bars and pissing him off. Like, for some reason... <laughs> The image of Tricky, which is a fucking weird image, right? With those eyes. Twix He's bar. eating a Twix. And it was so incredibly specific. It was like in the Lebowski script when they're like, nice marmot. Like, and I can't get over the fact that it's the <laughs> wrong animal. The fact that he was losing his shit over specifically that the, he's eating that candy bar and it was enough to break his character just kills me. Kills me. See, I, I would have thought he would have lost it with the... Uh... 
the blowjob uh, uh, prosthetic animal. Ah, yes. uh, Conquering his choking. At this point, the boys, who had been drinking copiously, decided to take an abrupt potty break. So when they get back, they kind of trail off from the topic they were discussing and dive directly into the Thord trailer, which I'm personally super excited about. Uh, They also make some reference during it about uh, the body mass index for evil, the 80s, which Tom is totally wrong about because the 80s are the best, Star Wars. They also talk about Tessa in Westworld, and for those of you who don't remember who Tessa Thompson plays in Westworld, she plays the bureaucrat's uh, government business person that comes in later in the season. At some point while they're discussing it, I feel like they may be mixing it up with the some of the other female characters on the show. Uh, but that's who they're referring to when they're talking about Tessa Thompson on Westworld. So that's this next segment here. Still talking about the news on Robot Kraken. Okay, so go ahead and you start with uh, Thor. No, no, I... I, I would like to bring up the fact that uh, the Thor Ragnarok trailer just really blew me away. And, and I think it was a combination of the music selection yeah. and the visual imagery. But I, out of the entire cavalcade of Marvel films that are coming out, that one intrigues me the most. Because, I'm super, I'm, I'm growing right? in my intrigueness. Right. Intriguement. I mean, hella with the like i just can't wait for all the boston folks to be like hello wicked <laughs> uh like hero wicked like uh well, northern california they they claim that as well right right yeah. but <laughs> that whole you know thing, when like, it first started oh, no, what, 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 what hope comes down is like oh it's a friend from work that was that was such fan <laughs> service but it was so good it was so good that was like the same sort of it was the same sort of humor as when uh, Hulk started smashing Thor around like a ragdoll, right? It was like, or uh, Loki, right? Yeah. It was that same sort of just s- spontaneous, random hilarity, right? Puny God. Yeah. You know, uh, when when they first announced Ragnarok and speculated it was going to be Planet Hulk and some other stuff and it was going to be spacey, I wasn't, I wasn't yet sure how I felt about it. And then when they – and I like uh, – Oh, I'm going to butcher his name. You do it. Which one? Director. Oh, uh, uh, Waiki. Um, Waiki. Ta- yeah. Ta- uh. We don't but, prepare but, before we do the thing. No, we, we don't. We're, we're doing it live. Yeah, uh, but when, uh, sorry, when, hold on just a minute. It's Taika Waititi. Waititi. Okay. Yeah. It's not like and, I've never been to New Zealand or you either, but uh, so. Well, well, yeah, but but he's absolutely brilliant. Okay. Right? So all of his other stuff has been amazing. And then when you pair him with this, I thought, okay, Marvel's doing that thing where they just, they go in a really weird direction with the director and they let him do, they give him the framework and let him run with it. It's going to be really weird and cool. But when the first promo stuff came out and they had that eighties Technicolor graphics for the the title and there was some of the promo art and you saw the sort of 80s neon stuff going on i was spoiler alert i don't like 80s too much and so i was a little bit concerned she, she, i'll be at the end of the spectrum i'm like oh you, you, you give it to me 80s i'll be like uh, I lo- no. yeah i love the smiths and i hate everything else okay so Dude, that is such a simplistic statement come on i lived in los angeles during the 84 olympics 
There's nothing that lets you come back from that without being scarred just a little bit. There was more teal on every street. <laughs> they put a teal banner. They did a teal banner with these like pink and green, lime green and, and neon yellow stripes on it on every single lamppost in the entirety of Los Angeles proper. 84 Olympics coming soon. By the time the Olympics actually happened and I was there getting autographs from those from the athletes and stuff, I was so not I was so nauseated from Jakarta level puking just all the time from all that teal. It stayed with me. Now, that yeah. said, once that trailer came out, I was instantly converted. I was like this is the most amazing thing ever. Right? Yes. You agree? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, it's changed so my, your life. My, no, no, but my my counter to it is, I grew up in the eighties in Blair, Nebraska, right? <laughs> where where teal? You're far beyond the epicenter of what I was dealing with. Right, right. No, teal would have been a, like a welcome change, right? <laughs> it it would have been it would have been great. It would have been awesome. Like we 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 had corn, <laughs> we had corn, we had cows, and then we had more corn. I cannot put you in that environment every time i try i can't no it it, it, it was a, it was a town of two thousand people like the, the aircraft carrier i was on in the navy my block has two thousand people right my, my, my carrier the carl vinson could have fit three times my town on board um so your experience and my experience in the 80s is uh asymmetric shall we say i just watched uh, i just watched the trailer for the uh the film streets of fire do you know that? Oh one? yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. So my only my only familiarity this is an aside but it's relevant. So the my only fam- familiarity with that film was in an issue of New Type magazine which was the this Japanese magazine that largely focused on the Gundam world and models mm-hmm. and anime and everything. I used to get it from the from a store in Japantown in LA. There was in one of my issues there was this like 6 7 page spread on Streets of Fire and I didn't know the film I swear it didn't come out in the United States, but apparently it did. But I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, fast forward to like last week or this earlier this week that for whatever reason I Googled that and I found the original uh, trailer for Streets of Fire. Mm -hmm. And I was I I had that feeling of I've had this many times before, but I had the feeling of like I'm looking at an alternate universe and the and the entertainment of that universe that never happened here, like in. whatever movie it was where Batman V Superman's logo was on the side of a building. And it was like, well, in, the, in this, whatever that movie was a couple years ago, the Batman V Superman logo was either, it, it was in the marketing in the film. Like it was on, it was in the promos for a film happening in that film's universe. Right. right. I don't remember what it was. And I remember, and it's that same sort of vibe. Like I watched the streets of fire trailer in all its eighties glory. And there's a young Diane Lane rocking out and Michael Paré and and uh, Willem Dafoe oh, giving these Paré. horrible Michael... lane, horrible lines. Yeah, Willem Dafoe and Michael Paré. Uh, I, I don't know where you went, man. And there's like, and there's these like weird, like multiple versions of a of a of a motorcycle flipping over on fire, and it's rocking a world full of rock and roll, and it's all these guys that are doing this sort of like zoot suit riot kind of thing, like they're jumping around in big suits playing guitars. Like it didn't make any <laughs> sense. Nothing of it made any sense. And seeing that, like that whole experience made me like have a little mini throw up about the 80s that was the worst for me, which was that movie that I experienced yesterday or today. Yeah. Yeah. So, so my, my uh, uh, canonical ensemble of an 80s experience movie 
would be the Lost Boys. Hmm. Right? Like the, I get it. Right? And and I'm trying to figure out when did the Crow one come out? Eighty something. Uh, like yeah. Goldberg say it's nineteen eighty something. Yeah. But but like the Lost Boys. I mean, come on. That that was I didn't a, even see that in the eighties. I saw it in the nineties. No, that that was a beautiful synopsis of you were old enough to see it when it came out, and I probably wasn't. Oh, I saw it in the theaters. Uh, I was there, like, middle row at the cinema Odeoplex, and I do mean Odeo. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But it, it – so Panther that, by Odeon. Right, right. So that, that whole visual palette, and – but to me, what I've got most excited about with Thor Ragnarok was, of course, Kate. <laughs> right? Because <laughs> – because like when she's Galadriel and she goes badass in the the Hobbit, like uh, I want that big helmet to be on all the time. That's classic Marvel, and it's like right, it's like religiously sixties Mar sixties or early seventies space Marvel, right? The ghost or uh, Kirby style, big giant headdress. When she takes it off and she's got that black hair, I mean, she looks hot. I love it, but I want that helmet on the whole time. Right? Absolutely, absolutely, because it's it's just larger than life, right? Let me manifest how evil I am by the fact with that my I, headdress, right? That that my BMI is dwarfed <laughs> by my headdress, right? That, like, yeah. like I, I, BMI I my, to evilness ratio, right? <laughs> like, like my EGI, my evil to good index, just went you know like through the roof. But dude, evil I to mean, good index. <laughs> that that with the immigrant song, right? Yeah. <laughs> And ah, and then she just grabs a hammer and just like, yeah, Molnir, Bolnir, dog ear, pop. <laughs> dog ear. <laughs> How many of those whiskeys have you? All right, so this, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just, I just started my second, by the way. So I'm, I'm that's, still eight sober. That's disheartening because I'm on my fourth. So but, 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 you, so wait a minute now. Eight well, there was like a and, six and, minute and, break. But wait, wait. She is, she is like the first unadulterated, true evil character that's a female in any of yeah, these. I, yeah. Yeah. Right. I and, agree. and the casting of her in that role. Oh yeah. With the, with all the drapings and imagery and everything you can draw from the Marvel comics on that. It, it's just absolutely perfect. I agree. I and agree with you. Like it, it, it makes, it makes Hiddleston look like the water boy. No, I don't know. No, no, it may no, still it's, uh, be the watermark for villains in the Marvel universe, but but in, in terms of and, in terms of uh, motivation, right? And and we still have yet to see, you know, Thanos. So he's there. And, he's and in all, that story. Okay, yeah. so interesting. Let's go into wait before we go into uh, Loki. I want to ask you a question. When you saw the first Star Wars in the theater, what what was it? Oh, theater, absolutely. Nineteen seventy-seven. I was in the theater. Not to age, not to age out us, but uh, okay. So you were in the theater, and I saw it in the drive-in. So probably I mean, six I, months I, after you, and I was on top of a station wagon watching it. Double feature with Meteor, by the way, which has not. not test, it's not survived the uh, the test <laughs> of time the, the way the Star Wars did. <laughs> but still, we were both saw. Technically, we saw Star Wars in in its original release, right? Right. Like mine was the the second release, like the second tier of that release, but it was the same year. Yeah. Or beginning of 78, whatever it was. And then, and then Empire in return, I actually convinced my parents that it'd be okay for a young idiot to camp out with his friends outside the theater. Nice. Yeah. And, and so well, 
I got to see I got to see both of them on the initial screening in the grand metropolis that is Omaha. <laughs> so you know, growing up in Westwood, you're familiar with Westwood, right? Have yes. you ever been there? I've been there like a well over more times than I'd like to imagine. But young Tom said gro- like running around West, old old Westwood as a kid because that was my playing. That was like my playground. But imagine, that's a lot. Di- that's a lot different than a cornfield. I agree. And when every time you say that you grew up in a cornfield, I'm seeing signs, right? So I, I'm scared of cornfields. That doesn't wait, wait, sound good at all. Wait, wait. Are you seeing like warning? Blake is here. Like no, <laughs> that's a problem. But no, I'm seeing more like little, like the bad, the bad robot thing, like in the crowd, in the corn. There's, oh yeah, yeah, there's yeah, Aliens in there. So in in the 70s when Star Wars came out, like other movies had done before it, it was you know it it went to the Man Chinese, which is in Hollywood, and then the and then the Man in West in. Uh, Man Theater in Westwood, and there was the line oh, wow. around the that, block. That that had to be fantastic. They had the, they had the what has now been overused over by the time the eighties and the nineties came on. They were using it everywhere, but it was the spotlights, you know, the spotlights illuminating the clouds overhead, and there was a big spectacle of it, you know, at a time when it wasn't like that for every movie premiere, right? Right, and you certainly didn't see coverage of it. But I remember being downtown watching – or down in – down at Westwood anyway, seeing the lines. I saw that in person. I wasn't in that line obviously, but I, I was aware of that experience happening. And to think about that now makes me realize you and I are old. Yes. O-L-L-L-L-L-E. Hella. Hella old. old. It's a great way to bring it back to Thor. Yeah. So so sp- speaking of Loki, which we're, what we were talking about before. So he's sitting on the one side. He's on the right side of – well, the left side of the couch, right, right side of the screen, right. during the, the gladiator scene. Right, the grape zone. The grape so, zone. So, the, the hand-fed grapes. Okay, yeah, I get it. So, in in the in the context of this movie, interesting because he's supposed to be masquerading as Odin, right? But he's well, there, right? So, at the end of Thor two, he was on the throne, and and Loki's supposed to be dead. Right, in theory. Right. And there he is as Loki watching this. So it makes me wonder if he is knocked off the throne by the time that scene occurs. Or playing a duality where uh, the him grand never. Master, no, the, the Grandmaster has brought Loki back to help him decide, you know, the crew. Against his will, right. even. Right. Maybe against his will. Right. Did you like, this is a, a sorry, this is a call to uh, our Guardians discussion, but did you notice and like the the continuity of the stripe on the lip absolutely which is in guardians right okay yeah. going back to thor what i cannot get over it because someone photoshopped it uh and put it on twitter and i couldn't unsee it but i love that you have grandmaster on one side loki on the other side and then the long couch and the long couch is just large enough to put the naked jeff goldblum <laughs> right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i love it i can't stop seeing that maybe that's yeah. my new maybe that's my new marriage dream Hey, uh, Jeff Goldblum had me a long time ago, right? Earth Girls yeah, really Easy, Earth Girls Easy. Come on, and and they and said the that pie. that was why they didn't put him in the in the Grandmaster's blue makeup because they're like he already did it. Yeah, in he's Earth already Girls been there, Easy. done that. He's and amazing. Then, and then Tessa Thompson as Valkyrie. I mean, come I'm, on. I'm still on the fence. Like I know it's going to be good, but she's a she's an enigma to me, man. I don't know. But that's what's perfect about it. Well, I don't know. Is she is she Valkyrie ish enough? She well, must be. I don't, I don't know. We can go to another trailer about Wonder Woman and talk about Gal Gadot, whether she's Wonder Woman enough. I think she's answered that in spades. Yeah, you're right. 
right? And I think I think it's all about how they personify it and then put it up on the screen and and how they're directed. Well, like right? so, I, I had some trouble with her on. I mean, it's one of the few things I had trouble with on Westworld is I had trouble visualizing her as the power player she's supposed to end up being by the end of the season based on her delivery, right? Like she just, uh. so I don't know. She's the only, I, I like her in con in concept and I like her as a person following her Instagram, but I just, right. I, it will be interesting to see. It's different than the Valkyrie persona that we're accustomed to from the comics where they're all these Viking warrior mm-hmm. women mm-hmm. that are just incredibly, powerful like the wonder woman stuff you're pointing out like it's really that sort of imagery i don't know we'll see how but, she but, does but, but, but yet uh godot has overcome a lot of the, uh, uh, overcome a lot of the negative criticism that's true by demonstrating on screen what she really brings to the character yeah you're right and so and, and so tessa i think in westworld i think she was kind of hamstrung by the fact that the nature of the character was that really brilliant really manipulative but the only weapon that she saw herself having besides deviousness was her sexuality. Yeah. Right. And so that that's what she led with. And I, I will I, give you I, I will give you this. I will give you this that I would have expected that character in Westworld to be some sultry I'm not I don't want to say that Tessa Thompson is not sultry or can't be sultry, but do you know what I mean? Like I would have expected that to be one of those man killer type personas. Like it would have been a really sex forward character and to cast this this particular actress and the way she looks and the way she acts in that role was subversive it was subversive mm-hmm. in westworld so it right. was kind of a surprise I, I wouldn't say it was a total surprise that she is part of the company although i didn't expect it to be to the extent that it was but it was interesting but, but, and i and, and the but, same follows here with thor it was interesting casting right. for sure but i th- but i think that's exactly why they cast her because that nobody knows what to make of her Right in, in Westworld, like Anthony Hopkins' character, all, all the all the subterfuge that she brings to the table, nobody knew what to expect from her. They all tried to put her in a box, and she she completely blew that up. I think you're right. That makes right? sense. Yeah, sure. Right, and she's not a femme fatale. I'm pro Tessa Thompson now. Right, and but but it'll be interesting to see how they develop it because again, it's going to come down to how it's directed, but. Um, you know, but back to the director choices in, in Thor, you go back to Kenneth in the first one where, he, I mean, he basically turned it into a, a really myopic version of a Shakespearean tale about a brother, about a son seeking redemption against an antagonist that's his brother. You don't like that choice or you do like that choice? No, I loved it. I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. Um, and then, I've never felt more of a standard nerd than asking you how you felt about Kenneth Branagh's Thor while holding a Lego bat pod that's not available in stores. Hey, only available by calling in one special <laughs> favor. I won that in a contest legit. One of 50. All right, go on. No, well, no. So I'm, no, I'm, you're, I'm, you're absolutely I'm, right, I'm, though, about that. I'm just saying that they make some really non-traditional director choices. And when Tom decided not to come back for the third one, I think I think they made a brilliant choice with Taika. Tom? I, I, yeah, uh, Alan, the one who did oh, the second. Oh, right, right, right. So, how right? did you feel about the second one? Uh, it was a lot better than Iron Man two. So, how did you feel about Iron Man two? Mm, not so good. Really? Yeah. I mean, I get I, that it gets a bad rap, but I liked it at the time. No, I, I enjoyed it, but I just thought they could have expanded the character a lot more yeah. than having a retread of what they did in Iron Man one. I I get that, yeah. 
Right. So, and and, I, and yeah. I think they I think they completely missed an on opportunity with Mickey Rourke. Yeah. Well, I, I, he I, stole I, the, every scene he was in. That's for sure. Right. Right. But I think they they gave it such a box yeah. to play a role in. Yeah. I think they could have taken it a lot more into what they did in Captain America: Civil War. Sure. About the, about the whole insidious nature about the manipulation in the in the in the guise of uh, nationalism and patriotism and that the whole thing is just rancid. Well, I, I think of I think of Civil right? War all the time. Winter Soldier and Civil War, two of my favorite of the Marvel films. But every time I think of Civil War, uh what I really love about that is that Zemo's character was given a foundation for his his plan. He was given mm-hmm. a reason for what he was doing and an emotional state and a pathos to him that was really clever. He mm-hmm. was very convincing. We were pissed that he didn't have the thing with the purple thing, you know, baklava and all the Baron Zemo stuff. He was perfect in what he did. Yep. I totally agree with you. My problem is Iron Man 2, when I saw it, well, two things. One, I really enjoyed it anyway. And just like Iron Man 3, I enjoyed it for what it was. But oh, I, I really enjoyed Iron Man three. Don't get me wrong. I I, I really but, think it was one of the, the, the that turning point in his character that I think was essential for what comes next. And I and I and the problem it's just like I say that I can accept movie versions of stories and then other comic versions of stories that even if they don't align with whatever the original source material was to me it's all alt universe stuff. I'm always keen for a film production to go off and do whatever version they <clears throat> want. And change mm-hmm. things and go crazy. Just tell mm-hmm. me a good story. I'm okay. I'm really okay with that. I see it all as Elseworlds. I love it. When I see something like Iron Man 3, for example, with a Shane Black, that's a Shane Black film through mm-hmm. and through. Like the new Thor one is going to be. Very different tone than what they had before. And I'm totally down with it because I can fit it in my head. I can make that work. Right? I can make that puzzle piece fit. But a lot of people just could not get their heads around it. And with Iron Man 2, the one thing that that kind of trips me out about it in retrospect is I thought at the time that this was the most amazing Mickey Rourke anything. Like I couldn't – I hadn't seen The Wrestler. I don't know even if that came after or not. But I had no before. sense – It was before. It was before. I, had no, I didn't see it. And I had no sense of him in the last – in several years, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden he shows up and he's got the – the dreadlocks and the color in the hair and the weird plastic surgery and all the tattoos. And he's got the thing and the bird. And I was like, what the living fuck is happening? I love it. It's so random. And then over time, I've come to realize that Mickey Rourke just showed up, right? right. <laughs> That's just what he was doing. You know, well, literally what he was doing at the time. I, I mean, basically he pulled a Marlon Brando of the yeah, MCU. He totally did, but so I just, love it anyway. I love yeah. it. Just show up, fuel him with meth, coke, and booze. Yeah, and just like, and just let him say but shit. I, but in his front physical, of pre- his physical presence, I hadn't seen any of that. Then I saw right. the wrestler, and I was like, oh, he really did that to himself. And now you see his photos in the in the in the rags and stuff, and he's just, you know, he's just an incredible mess. But right, it was but, it but, was but, impressive at the time. But to me, the thing is, where did where did the character of Tony Stark start and right. stop in that film? And, and, and how much did it push it forward other than to address his daddy issues or some element of them? Yeah, you're right. Right. And so, and so, so to me, that the, the, because you take a look at the arc of the other movies, um, 
whether you agree with it or not, they, they actually push the envelope of defining the main character, the antagonist, the, the, antag- the, the, the protagonist. But wasn't this, but wasn't, wasn't Iron Man 2 about Tony Stark at the top and about to fall? I mean, he was very overconfident, riding high, loving the fact that he was out and not even having to hide it, feeling invincible until he wasn't, right? To have his race car slashed in half was a real sobering reality check for him. I like that aspect of the film. But but at the end of the day, at at the end of the film, was there some transformational moment of self-discovery on it? No, it's just that I have to be a bigger badass. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Right? And whereas... In Civil War, that there was a big moment. Yeah, you're right. right? The and only thing Man, that you could and, and, do, and, and, and in Iron Man three, there was a big moment where, despite all of his you know badass chops, Home Depot he, Iron Man, <laughs> right? yeah. he, he could not protect the ones that really mattered. At the end of the day, the only person in the world that mattered to him, he could not protect. And she protected herself. Right. Well, uh, in Iron Man two, I have to say that the only thing I'm bored, I'm bored to death with Marvel's. Thing about an uh, just a, an onslaught of generic samey samey villains that you just have to knock down like a video game, Gal- mm-hmm. the Galaga approach yep. that Marvel does over and over again. And in Iron Man two, the one saving grace was the one thing you can do to make the Galaga thing work for me is to put it in a bunch of cherry blossom trees, right? Okami right. cherry trees, which I'm trying to get in my backyard right now because they make everything better. Absolutely. Just try to imagine the pivotal moment in Kill Bill Volume 1 if there weren't the <laughs> snow and the cherry trees, right? It would have been different. If it was a mall in Reseda, it wouldn't have been the same. I agree. But, so, uh, with Thor, but, though... But, 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 but just real quick, just to finish up, Sam Rockwell. Yes. And... and, and Micro-review of Iron Man 2, all of a right? Typical but, bust. Yeah, totally, totally, completely tangential, but um, that they didn't do anything with him afterwards. He needed more. Right. He was, he's so much... He's like his own movie every time. Right. And I loved him in that role, but he needed a he needed a final moment. Although I remember at the time, though, feeling that it was impressive when the bad guy doesn't have a giant flame out, mm-hmm. blow, up, blow up things, go crazy, uh, you know, you know, fall on your sword, kind of flame out. He was in the control room, and the cops showed up, and he's like, bah, 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 and then he got taken away. Right. Every time they circumvent the expe- expectation, I like that. So actually, I like that aspect of him. I like that in the end, he was a bureaucrat or he was a business guy that got taken away. <laughs> like, right, right. I, you know, but, 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 but if they could have done He didn't grab a gun and, and do a thing right, at right. the end. But, but, but if there was some connection between him and Guy Pierce, Yeah, you're right. In Iron Man 3, right? Like some – there's a whole big industry consortia trying to like really take Tony Stark down. Now, do you feel – now, did you feel at the end of Iron Man 3 that it was unpleasant – or ham-fisted that uh, Pepper Potts were to take the lead at the very end and do what she did? No, I didn't. I thought it was just fine. A lot yeah. of people did not like that at all. But 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 my issue is if that... If Chris were here, he'd probably say, I didn't like that at all. I did like it. I don't necessarily care for Gwyneth Paltrow, but I did like it. But, but my issue is that it was great that it, it happened in Iron Man 3, but then they took it nowhere else. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Right, there, there, there was no... There was no continuity of that female character progression uh, after that. And, in fact, it appears that Gwyneth is no longer no, included in anything, right? Until so, she's not. You never know. Right. She may show up again right. in, in Infinity War. They, they have a thing. Where it seems like they're throwing every possible person in that. So, so in Thor, I mean, in the Thor trailer. 
in Thor Ragnarok, the thing that I take issue with is that now Natalie Portman is also gone. Yeah, it's a bummer. Both Natalie Portman and Kat Dennings. I mean, they were a really yeah. pivotal part of that those films, and I would like. However, however, Neil, Neil. Yeah, however, uh, he did post a photo on Twitter of Natalie Portman both like hanging out or whatever, some photo of her walking around and then a photo of her in costume from Thor two. And it was just like some random thing that of course, by design led me and everybody else to go, Oh, maybe it's a stealth reveal that there's going to be an Easter egg that she's going to show up or like some sort of thing. And I hope so. Cause she was, I loved her in that. I loved in Thor one. I loved the deliberate, just completely open, honest realism of her walking up and like, uh, and then rubbing his abs. Like everything yeah. about that was completely convincing. In in the first Thor movie, I completely believe that this human woman was like, well, Here's a here's a weird Viking god in my living room, in sweatpants or whatever it is. It was so believable to me. No, but what I loved is when she ran him over, yeah, pulling it out in reverse, like yeah. And then, and then Cat like, uh, <laughs> and even in Thor too, like, so you got dumped by your boyfriend. He's in a different world. He hasn't been around for six <laughs> months. You're at lunch with a loser. So like, you, okay, come on, did get you some hate, ice cream. Did you hate Thor two the way everybody else seems to have hated Thor two? I, I I am not in that camp. I love that movie actually. I need to see it again. I yeah. remember feeling like it was fine. I, I, I need to see it again to make it to feel good about it. I didn't hate it though, but I didn't it, like it, that it was a, a cloud of dust again. Well, but. I, you know, I, I liked it because it added some more depth to the background story of Asgard and the the kind of uh, the Beowulf nature of Asgard. Sure. That that everybody needs them in a crisis, and then when everything's fine, they hate them. I do right? love giant ships cleaving Earth, though. Man, I love right. it in every film. Well, especially when it happens in the UK. Yeah. Um, Fuck those guys. And the dark elves. Unless, unless you listen, in which case, sorry that happened. Yeah. You know, I, I do. I do notice that there's some incongruities around how they portray. The Infinity Stones, right? The MacGuffin and, Stones? Yeah, like the MacGyver, you know, gum-wrapped enigma. Um, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, but I thought, as a standalone piece, it added a lot more to the Thor-Loki balance, which I think at yeah. the end of the day is going to be Absolutely. a, critical, a critical, critical aspect of the whole MCU. Um, I think it added a lot to the, the depth of how intertwined all these stories are in the multiverse. I agree. And, and, and I think it, 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 was a, it was a great plot vehicle that had a great story around it that brought back Loki into relevance. And that I think that's Thor Ragnarok, right? So in Thor Ragnarok, what I like the most, so I hate trailers that give everything away, and I love trailers that give you a taste but then don't give you a sense of the overall story. Right. They have shown so much in the Thor trailers but it's all about the same thing. And that makes me feel like we're going to get, we're seeing act one, right? And act two and act three have not been seen yet. And I really love that because mm-hmm. I don't care. You can show me the gladiator stuff all day long. I don't want a movie about that, but if that's the opening of a movie or the first act and it leads to the road, the buddy, buddy road trip that they promised, I'm all in. I love it. I, I think, I think plus it's Jeff Goldblum. Plus Seth Goldblum and plus Kate Blanchett, mm-hmm. just just being a badass. Kate it's going to be amazing, right? If there's one lady I'd like to go out to dinner with and just get hammered with, it'd be Kate. Where's your Where's your lovely wife right now? 
she's in the she would agree with that. She would get hammered and she'd go, go out to, she'd, she'd go. go. Yeah. She'd take over that conversation. Yeah. Um but I I really think you're absolutely right. I think there's gonna be some great escape yeah. moment to it. Like, yeah. like yeah. Guardians of the Literally. Galaxy. Literally. Like Guardians of the Galaxy did yeah. in, in the first one that right. is just brilliant. I think uh, you're gonna see an evolution of Hulk into be more banner esque. Well, he's definitely Hulk. Yeah, he's definitely Banner-esque, right? He's got that no, but, intelligence. But but actually, the the, you the see it and, and the dialogue and the intellect coming through that this whole time where everybody thought the Hulk was a brainless idiot, it was because Banner couldn't embrace who he really was when he right. was that, right? Best and he line in that movie, out. right? I'm always angry. Right. That was the and, best thing they ever did to the Hulk story. And, and that's also why I think in Ultron. I think they missed an opportunity to expand on that further, especially with the Black Widow tie-in to Banner. I, I think there could have been a lot more of the ethos and the emotion connection between those two characters that translates the embodiment. Yeah, I agree. Sure. Right. I'll go with that. Especially. So, yeah. Well, so there you go. There's Thor Ragnarok. Well, so I think keeping in mind that the, that Thor Ragnarok has an unusual director and interesting style that is going to be an uh, a challenging fit for a lot of mainstream viewers that like the MCU. Can, can, can I just add one more aside? <laughs> yes, you can. Sure. So, so like the wilder people, did you see that movie? Mm, what? Victor says what? So the, the idiot says what? <laughs> God damn it. So, uh, the wilder people movie, that was Taika's last movie. Oh, I didn't see that. Hunt for the wilder people. Right. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but I didn't right? see that. If, if Thor Ragnarok just turns to be a, a, a hunt for the wilder people on steroids, I'll be happy. Yeah, and I read uh, that. Yeah, right. And if and the other one is uh, what we do in the shadows. Oh, I love it. Right. I, I, I haven't seen the end of the movie. I've seen the first two acts of the movie before my wife fell asleep. And we had to pause it, but oh, I I loved it to death. Yeah. Um, so what what I where I was going with this was a seamless transition that was broken. So it was seamed. Uh, Thor Ragnarok <laughs> is an unusual here's a seamed transition Thor Ragnarok is an unusual director in the Marvel Universe producing a product that maybe the mainstream Marvel fan in Bent Ankle West Kansas will be confused by I'm wondering what you think of everything you've seen so far about Sony's slash Marvel's Spider-Man Homecoming which again is similar but not actually perfectly Marvel Universe filmmaking they just had a third trailer or another trailer came out today mm -hmm. or yesterday. Mm -hmm. What do you think is going on there? Not to interrupt Tom's sweet, sweet transition there. It was so smooth I feel bad butting in. But I feel like I should interject here and let people know that when Blake is talking about Keith Urban, I believe he's actually referring to Carl Urban, the actor who performed in Dread, not the country pop singer. Uh, perfectly honest. Yeah, I expect no I less than Robot Kraken. Right, Come right, on, man. Right, I know. I think it's going to be a great vehicle. Yeah. To bring Spider-Man. Yeah. Back into the mainstream. Yeah. And the connectivity with the dominant archetypes within MCU. What the hell does that mean? Don't it means dominant archetypes. It, no, no. It, it means that they're going to um. Put up You've a been scenario. doing too many seminars in. Oh, yeah. uh, Iceland and places like that. Give me a break. What do you no, mean? That's my wife. Yeah. Okay. I, I am, as much as I'd like to hang out with Bjork, 
my wife is the only one who's done that. So, <clears throat> so anyway, I, what I think they're going to do is establish the circumstance where the Avengers and Peter Parker's desire to be a part of that team, as evidenced by yeah. you know all, all the all the common yeah, yeah. plot trails that are out there. It's going to set the stage so that everything that he does is like a tryout. Oh, I, for the I totally Avengers, get that. Right? Right, but, but are but you feeling same, the, but at the same, but at the but at the same time, it's going to be kind of a self discovery about how, he, while he wants to be a part of it, he's not defined by it. Yeah, that's exactly my my thought too. Is that uh, he's they're setting it up that he's so frustrated at being expected to just follow the rules that he's going to do his own thing, and even when Sark takes his suit away, he's going to keep he's going to keep going. Right, and so here's where I think the twist will be is that while he is in Team Stark initially, all of these machinations, no pun intended, um, and, and all of these uh, constraints that are put on by Tony, ostensibly in the notion of protecting him, will lead him Nanny to... Nanny protocols. Right, right. Will lead him to go to the other side. That's a very interesting point. Well, that's a very civil right. war, right? That's the comic right. civil war, is he jumps ship. Right. And, and I think... This is the setup to Infinity War. That's a really interesting. That's, right, I that haven't heard that before. That's a really good point. But I, I, the, the, you've earned your I, keep I, on Robot Kraken podcast. I, I, I haven't seen it anywhere else, but I just think yeah. the way they're portraying it and that, like the the uh, I know better and I'm older and I'm protecting you. Yeah, and I'll it's very. It's out. not a protagonist position, right? He is very. Right. He is very contrarian. Right, and 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 hey, kid, don't meddle in the adult table. Well, this feed you mashed potatoes and mac and cheese at the kid table. Um, whereas, whereas Spider-Man is essential to the entire thing. I'm So where I struggle is that uh, they brought back all this Ditko stuff. I love the webs on the sh- under the arms and all that. But, you know, all the like tech that is imp- that is implied, all the Stark tech. That was mm-hmm. in the that was in the stinger in the in the in in the uh, Civil War movie, and then now that you're seeing in the especially in the expanded trailer that they just came out with, mm-hmm. that is the least of my interest in Spider-Man. I don't need yeah. him to have trackers and parachutes and all this well, stuff. And, and, and I think spider- what will be and, interesting. And, and, but wait, also the Spider-Man spotlight. Yeah, sure. It's, it's playing. Like, the, it's too fuck? much of a nod to to our childhood, right? Uh, making those weird webs out of whatever variant on the formula. It's like not super glue, but like the weird spinny webby stuff. You'd make the web out of your web shooters. Remember that stuff? Am I the only yeah. one? No, no. Uh, Were you, I, I, you discovered I girls the, by then maybe? I, I don't know. I, I didn't discover girls until I was like 35. You had the little figures uh, of the vulture and whatever. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and the green goblin, like you just shoot out the gray goo mm-hmm. and just pretend it's like an ejaculate. Yeah. You I get stick that. it to him and then you win. Right. Right. It's kind of like a, it's a all Catholic my college school. experience to a T. <clears throat> a Catholic high school boy gone wrong. Sure, right. um. <laughs> so my thought was very similar to what you were saying, though. I guess I hadn't thought of it from your perspective, but but the end is the same, which is I thought that it was Stark's going to take away the suit. He's going to run around in his vigilante clothes, do what he's going to do anyway. Then he's going to get a suit back, but it's going to be stripped. Like he's going to say, I don't need all the stuff. I don't want surveillance. I don't want you involved. I just want to be, do my own thing. And Stark is going to theoretically pull back. And he's going to end up with a look of the Spider-Man without all the tech. But I, I think you're missing, uh, to me, the, the gap that's there 
is that Peter Parker is a genius. Yeah. So right? he'll do his and, own thing. Right. And so he'll do his own thing. And when so here's what I think is going to happen is that Tony Stark says, okay, you proved yourself. I was wrong. I'll give it here's all back to you. And he says, I don't need it. And he says, I don't need it. And more importantly, I don't need the Avengers. <sighs> dun, dun, Aven- Infinity War, except and, I'll, and I'll help Infinity you out. War, right? right. And, and I, think, I think that's the whole maturation of Peter Parker from a teenager to an adult. Because it's that whole self-discovery thing. And it happens over and over and over and over again in the Spider-Man mythos. This been, you know, irrespective of the the incarnation in the timeline, I think I think it's actually going to be one of those things where Tony yet again creates his own worst enemy. The the idea that a young they've really sold. He, Tom, Holland is amazing. They've really yeah. sold that this is a teenager that was asked to. It's like Guns and Roses. Well, that's a bad example because they're. No, no, well, Rose, no Guns N' Roses. Come on. Let's say Radiohead or someone showed up at your high school and are like, Tom York. I've heard you playing drums <laughs> in your bedroom. Come on. You know, like whatever that is, whatever but the mechanism the, is. But, but don't, don't take the cymbal head off. We want the cymbal head. <laughs> yeah. And we want more cowbell. <laughs> more cowbell. But like, I, I love the, you've been invited to be in the band, but be quiet. The, everything about that has been so perfect. And it's so believable that everything he's showing is so believable Right down to what the way they presented him in Civil War, it was absolutely perfect that he's like, "Hey, I," oh, you know, everything about that was great. And Your I feel like you're saying, "Well," and you're saying, you know, that he's going to reach a point where he's like, "You know what? I don't need you." And right. in many Hollywood films, the protagonist gets sucked up into that the almost famous kind of thing. They get right. sucked up into the magical world that they fantasized about, and then, oh my god, they're real people, and I don't like it so much, and I don't need that. I'm going to go back and live my well, life. It, but here I can see them doing that in a way that's going to be believable. It's going to be an empowering thing if that happens the way you've suggested. I like it. Well, but and, and yet it goes back again to Tony Stark's fatal flaw. Sure. He's right. right? That, He's right all the right? time. Right. right. And, and, it, and if everybody just did what he said, everything would be better. Right. And, and even, even to though the comics, ne- Though never yet has anyone done what he said. There's some argument that he might be right. Well, except for I would, uh, except for the folks that either don't know any better, or poor Don Cheadle, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, War Machine is just like a, a, a subjugate, you know, vassal, right? I want to see him show up with those like those runny feet, like uh, in uh, Kingsman. <laughs> but 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 I think I think the whole point of Peter Parker is that. He becomes his own man. Yeah. Right. And, and, and he, and he realizes that no matter how much he idolizes certain folks and wants to aspire to be them, he knows he can be better than they are. What and do you I, think? And I, and, and I think that's, that's going to be the moment of discovery that's going to put that character in a particular position of importance in the infinity war. That's a very interesting theory. I like it. I'm embracing your theory and I'm going to go with it. And I'm going to say pretty much that I kind of thought that the whole time. Of course. Uh, it's so obvious. It's here's, obvious. Here's something that really struck me. I, I kind of felt it in the previous trailer, but I really saw it in this one. It, very interesting that Zendaya's MJ, not MJ character is, <laughs> is disheveled. She could give yeah. two shits about the high school experience, right? She's got like, whatever she's got her hairs tussled and she doesn't care. And that is so con- not just the casting and her ethnicity and everything, but 
that's so contrary to the way MJ was always portrayed as being the the girl in school that everybody wanted to be with that were interested in women. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. So I'm interested to see if that's really what's happening in the film is that she's an anti – she's the anti-girl. But she's the it, one I, that you're interested in despite the fact that she's deliberately under the radar and not – Agreed. But but I, I, I'm trying to recall – in some of the 2012 plus storylines that they took a different approach to defining her character in the comics. Yeah. Well, I don't even know what those are. And frankly, I don't even know what those are because they were married for a while. And then Mephisto, there was a deal and then they weren't married anymore. And I don't even know. Right. And right now in the current comics, she's working for Stark, which is so random and wrong. And I don't like it. Well, it's better than her working for a lizard guy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the Gwen Stacy thing. Well, oh, so, okay. so here's here's my here's my ultimate dream is that I really want to see this this Spider-Man film uh, bring up uh, the Wolf, Moon Knight, <laughs> and, and all these other characters that I just loved when I was watching reading Spider-Man as a kid. Did you? I really want I really want to see that propagation of all these uh, different characters. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but you know, I'm, I'm Moon Knight, way, Moon Knight, Moon Knight. Oh my! I'm God. way ahead of you on the beverages. Right as we get into my favorite Marvel character, other than Iron Man, Moon Knight, dude. We, in a previous recording, we actually did a fantasy casting of Moon Knight. Did you hear that? Did you happen to? Yes, I did. Do you have a fantasy casting for Moon Knight? Huh. That's a really good question. Um, I'm going to go back to either Keith Urban or Michael Shannon. Keith Urban and Michael Shannon. Interesting. Do you remember who I said that I no, thought I do not. Knight should be? I do not. I do not. Well, that's troubling because I don't either. I feel like <laughs> so. All right. But uh, the, the thing about Moon Knight is. Georgian's Putchins. The guy that married Roseanne, you know. So uh, the thing. Oh, about- there you go. So, so that would be a great, a great casting of Moon Knight, especially in the leotard where Don Goodman as Moon Knight. I was thinking Tom that's a stretch. Uh, that, I that's thinking- that. I, I I respect that. That's that's as a fat man. I, I respect thinking, that. What was his name? Tom something or other that actually married her. Oh no, you're not going to go there. Like Tom. Uh, oh my God. The, the sidekick in uh, Schwarzenegger True Lies. Um, Arnold. Tom Arnold. Tom Arnold. <laughs> so the thing, all right, so but the thing about... Um, <laughs> if you went with Tom Arnold as Moon Knight, I'd much respect because that would never fucking fly. <laughs> that'd be like, that would be like, uh, what's Screech? From Save <laughs> the <laughs> The thing about Moon Knight, though, is that you know, ostensibly it's a, you know, it's a, it's an inverted Batman, right? Right. But also he has the attitude of Daredevil and whatever else. And so it's James been... Marsden. Ooh. I'm pissed that I can't remember who I had because I had a great casting choice. James Marsden. Our, our, no. our awesome listeners will have clearly known who I originally had because it was. Well, they wait on bated breath with everything that we say, right? Right. 
But uh, the one thing I liked about the I've always loved Moon Knight, and what I've loved about it is I like two aspects of Moon Knight. I like the iconography, and I like the monochrome nature of it. And I think that with the right lighting and the way it the way it could be set up, you can have this blinding. I don't want it to be blinding, but you can have this high contrast white figure in otherwise dark and murky environments without it being a distraction, just being so vividly ballsy yeah. to not be in the shadows like Batman, but actually just like in your face, completely overwhelmingly your focus, right? Just coming down the hallway, you're like, holy shit, this guy's in all white. I love that. And yeah. uh, Mark Millar wrote a, a comic that was obviously a pitch for a film, and I think it is now in production as a film, which is Nemesis, which is the anti-Batman, right? And it's right. a super villain that's like Batman who targets law various people in law enforcement and just ruins their lives, right? Sort of like Jeff Sessions. Correct. Yeah. yeah. My favorite. And and, he's, with and his costume with is an all-white Batman, right? With no horns. Just all-white right. Batman with the coat. Anyway, Moon Knight, to me, can be done very successfully if he's schizophrenic and you're not sure if he's insane. If the Khonshu stuff, if the Egyptian stuff is heavily focused. And in recent comics, they've had it where the there's a guy in a suit with a bird skeleton head. Like, just giant bird skeleton head out of scale on top of the suit, Right talking mm -hmm. to him and hassling him all the time it would work great and it has to be hard r just completely brutal and i think it would be an amazing movie i want it to it, happen it, i feel like it, it, it might it, happen more as a marvel uh, netflix thing than as a film but i don't know well i mean but could you imagine if they had like this pantheon of urban superheroes and like the defenders next gen Right, Moon Knight fits Where, the Marvel Netflix world, doesn't it? Though, right, right, right. But but you could you could like that plus one sphere of influence. Yep. And these characters coming out, uh, Moon Knight could actually fit in in that pantheon very well. And and I think it, the trap is to not let it be the Spectre, a la Billy Zane. <laughs> right. Well, that's always the trap. <laughs> well, I mean, but but that, that that's what they have with uh, Wakanda. Wakanda. That you, you can't let it become that. Um, but I agree with you. Moon Knight was one of the, one of the most compelling. The, I remember that comic a lot more than I remember like Swamp Thing, uh, a lot more than uh, a lot of the uh, Avengers actually, because it was it was that whole crossover between good and dark in the night. And, and what happens? And, and 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 let's not even go into Mobius, right? 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 And so, my casting, just for record, because I dug it up, and now you I you look it up. It. So here's it what derailed Zane, me, wasn't it? It was no, really no, Zane. Wasn't no, it? no. Here's what derailed me. So you know how sometimes you get stuck on a thread and you can't get it off, like when you you misspell a word or something and you can't get it out of your head. I was suddenly picturing uh, him as uh, uh, the actor that plays the young man in black in Westworld. And I couldn't get it out of my head. Ooh. Right? Which, by the face, I can do it, but not the body. But anyway, I've got it figured out. I found it in my notes. So I cast Mark Spector as Ryan Gosling. Yeah, I can't go there with it. Dude, listen. 
he can play rough. He can play conflicted. Look at him in like La La or not La La Land. Uh, drive. Drive, drive is really and yeah. drive and like the the nice and the nice guys, guys obviously the nice right. guys obviously picture him in that sort of like not fully in control trying to come up with a way to get to kind of regain that situation but still be beaten up I can totally see Ryan Gosling the baby goose as Chris likes to say as Mark Spector I don't know I think it'd be really interesting I also cast Marlene as Blake Lively remember Marlene wow. I'm not saying she's a good actress, but I'm saying she looks the part. No, I, I, she's a fantastic actress. I just uh, um, in I'm, the comics, I'm, she's I, I, like I, look, this... my name. My name is Blake. Of course, I love a B- Blake Lively. Come on. Okay. Yeah. So right? do you agree with my casting choice? You can no, get not it. at all. Why not? Because <laughs> I Marlene. Right, she's but so I think, irritating. I think the um, depth and the range depth of that range, Marlene. No, no, but it's much younger than what Blake Lively can pull off. Frenchie, I put Omar Sy, who's a French actor. He's in... Good uh, call. Good you know, call. he's the one who was training the Velociraptors in uh, Jurassic World. Yes. Don't fuck with them. And then is like, oh, I'm going to fuck with them. Right? Yeah. Uh, and then for the Bushman, I cast uh, Adwele Akanoye Agbaje. Smoke Yeah, monster. see, I would have yeah, gone with Tom Holchi Mr. Echo. One. I would have gone with Tom Holchi. Who? Amadeus. Oh, n- yeah. Okay, that'll work. <laughs> so, actually, you know what? You know who I would have gone for is um, that Tom Hanks. Um, no. No, no, no. The, the, the movie where they take over the ship, Cap- the, like Captain Phillips, whatever. Oh, you're talking that about dude, the pirate. The that dude. He was like a cold unknown, never right. acted at all. Snaggletee. That, yeah, yeah. That dude is who I would have gone with. With a lot of CGI to make him giant. Well, no, but or uh, or I mean, not ben or Affleck, not actually. Ben Affleck is uh, like no, but he know, did a bunch he, of roids he, to get big though. Right. So and that guy will never get big because his frame just won't even. Uh, then again, though, I like it when the the antagonist is not big. I like it when they're an infirm person who otherwise has a has the means to compensate for that. Yeah, like Tom Holchie. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> But but I would have gone with that because of the whole imbalanced nature of that character, and and how they're so swept to extremes. Um, I can see that. Yeah, I, I would have gone with that much more than like the physical nature of it. So Spider Man Homecoming, <laughs> the thing that strikes me repeatedly every time I see these things is that what I'm most interested in is the relationship between Peter Parker and his roommate. Uh, I love his reveal where he's like, no, no. And he's like, I just saw you on the ceiling. Or like he dropped the Death Star Lego, right? <laughs> like it blew up. No, no, no. I love it. Like it, it, it's like a real crude metaphor for catching somebody masturbating in a bathroom. It totally is. Right, he has that right, same like, sort of, like, we're not in the bathroom. Dude. Yeah. Dude. Um, and, and that's part of the teenage, You are a kid. <laughs> that's part of the teenage triumph of Peter Parker, right? It's that, it's that uh, kid that, in all of us. Have, that, that embarrassed kid in all of us. No, but that guy is the Greek chorus for that film. He's the narr- he is the way in for the viewer, right? Just like in Ant Man. Yep. Where so I saw a dude about a dude and then how to hot <laughs> I was seeing some postmodern art and you know I'm more of a cubist than a <laughs> He's still not yeah. cast in that film in the sequel, I'm hoping. So uh no, asked, and he has to be front and center in Avengers Affinity War. He has to right? be. he has to be the guy that first meets Thanos when he descends upon Earth. 
Yeah. Like I, I saw a dude about a dude who had a gauntlet, but he was wearing underwear. Oh, he wasn't okay, okay. Sure. Right. You're talking about Paul Rudd. I thought no. you were talking about Michael Pena. I'm talking about Michael Pena. Oh, oh okay. The He's first one to encounter Thanos. Yeah, Thanos that was first, like. So he's going to start the thing. How about a dance off? You know, right, uh, right. in the latest trailer, that guy has in um, in in Homecoming. He says he's like, I got to do something. I got to save the world, whatever it is. And he's like, but we've got a Spanish test. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, OK, so Spider-Man Homecoming. So the other thing I have here and you may have others, but one of the other things I have is uh the relatively surprising news that Zack Snyder was stepping down from Justice League. You saw that? Yeah, but I think that's much to do about nothing, especially given the circumstance, which is just absolutely tragic. Well, okay, but it was... No, no, no. But March. March suicide. No one knew about it. Kept out of the papers or whatever, which is amazing in Hollywood. TMZ, what were they doing? Following Hillary Duff around. But I actually think that they were having a, a human respect moment. Actually, I think. Do you um, think that he was all right? So here's. Do you think that he was trying to continue, and then felt like okay, everything's falling apart. I got to back away, or do you think he said, "This is terrible. This just happened. We need to transition because I need to get out." And they spent this time transitioning, transitioning to Joss Whedon, and then they announced it when the transition was done. Or do you think this is a smokescreen? I hate to sound cynical, but. And it's a terrible thing, but it wouldn't be the first time that someone used a personal reference as an excuse for a professional thing. Do you think he possibly was asked to step down and use that as the excuse for why he left? Well, but I, so I, I understand all those points, and I think the truth is somewhere in between all of them that he may. You can't so technically all, be between three things without choosing the middle thing. Well, listen to you're listen a scientist. To my listen to my theory, and and it's the human perspective that. I mean, I can't even imagine, or you as a parent, oh, fuck, of, yeah. of going through that, right? Yeah. I just, I just can't even I wouldn't it. still be alive, I'll tell you that. Right. Um, but I can understand where he may say, I'm going to soldier on. And try. And try and fail. You're like the first, you're talking about my first thing. Keep well, going no, no, until but, you can't but, do but, 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 but try and fail, and then they use this time to give him a graceful exit. Right. So it's, it's it's more of a hybrid that yeah yeah okay right that, that right. he tried to that, keep going and he was falling apart and then they said okay look it's really not working out yeah well yeah maybe maybe and and I, because to me that's the most human story that 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 actually respects and understands that these are humans yeah and and they're, they're not figureheads I mean we, you know, we, we, everything I've read we, about we, Snyder we, is we, he's we, not a bad guy no but I think. Actually, what I, I read about I, him I, is he's I, actually I a very enthusiastic I that. I just don't even understand how you would recover from that. Yeah, and I understand I the motivation to soldier on and like be like, uh, uh, I'm going to go on to triumph and just fail at it. I like your pantomimes now. You did a pantomime of marching with your hands. This, this, is, this is me 300 but, uh, <laughs> with paint on abs. But, um, but, th- but there has been this vitriol against Snyder. And I've had a lot of criticism that about I don't, some of the choices he's made. I don't I, agree. My sense has been, actually, I liked a lot of the movies that he's done. And I thought there was a lot wrong with them, which could also be studio meddling, script problems, a lot of other stuff. It's it's the bigger the picture, the bigger the risk of 
collapsing because of the sum of the parts that failed, as opposed to the vision. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in Alien Covenant, right? You, you can't. There's Our no. Yeah. There's no way that there's no free pass when you're coming to an auteur director who's supposedly uh, leading the ship that it's always going to work out. There's right. always going to be the bigger the project, the more hands are in there, the less the vision, the more the pressure. Right? Things mm-hmm. can go wrong. And I'm not even saying at this point that I didn't like Alien Covenant. I'm saying it's very possible for big for a name director on big projects to fall apart because of all of those pressures. Well, and I've actually liked every one of Snyder's films that I've watched, but I've had a lot of frustrations about the potential that was missed, usually in the story itself, very rarely in the choices that the director made. And that's part of the problem that we have, I think, as a culture, is that we associate these projects with the director. It was, you know, for example, Resurrection or, you know, Alien Resurrection was written by oh, Joss Whedon, but no one remembers that, right? And, 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 and it was a, yeah. Okay, but my point being that, you know, like these new, these, these the the modern alien era with, with, Okay, but wait a minute. Scott in it. They're not. I mean, he may be right. He may be navigating the ship, but he's got screenwriters who are writing a very specific thing. But but so, but here's my benchmark of all the alien movies. I'm sorry. No, no, but but, uh, right. But but Prometheus was uh, was uh, was uh, lost. What's his name? Uh, Lindelof. Lindelof. Um, Daniel Lindelof. Yeah. Yeah. But so my benchmark for all the alien movies is AVP. Interesting. Right, I haven't seen because, that. well, Alien vs. Predator. You haven't seen any of those, no. But I'm, I listen. I, I understand both of those right, movies right. and everything. So, that so, happened so that's where the 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 whole Enterprise was at before Prometheus, right? Well, I mean, it was it, hmm. it was AVP, WWE, it's, SmackDown, AVP. Right? Okay, so you're saying that's, that's always, we're getting far afield here for just a minute. But Zach Snyder, I think, has been much maligned. And undeservedly so. I, Man of Steel, I, I, sorry, I'm going to say this, but as opposed, after the Christopher Reeve original Superman movie, that movie is my favorite Superman movie. I really liked it, with the exception of things like the dad saying, uh-uh, and then him not doing anything as the dad and the dog get swept away. There are very few elements of that movie that I didn't like. I even didn't yeah. mind the snapping of Zod's neck. This is the formative years of that guy. It's him. It's an untrained person with unlimited power faced against an immovable object and asked to make a snap decision, so to speak, right. about violates, a high stakes higher moral code. Right. What are you supposed to do? Right. I thought that was. Um, I thought it was great. I love yeah. Man of Steel, frankly, and I loved. Uh, and, and frankly, I liked a lot of Batman v Superman. I just felt like there were so many places where it could have been even better. But, but I, I think I, I think it was a vehicle to get to the broader outcome. But even but even so, you can never say that Snyder doesn't love his material. If anything, you would say he loves it too much, right? Like Watchmen, where he just recreated scenes in the comic and missed some of the core elements. But again, who's going to make a Watchmen film that works, right? That but, wasn't a bad but, effort. Well, and that's going to satisfy all the fanboys. Right. And how can you make a Watchmen film when the book itself was a commentary on comics as a medium? So how do you right. make a film about that, right? Like, 
it, all they did was distill the plot points of Watchmen and put it in film. And I frankly quite liked it. I mean, it was fine. So well, I guess the, what I'm I, saying I, is all of his all of the hatred about Snyder and the DCCU to me is really misplaced. It's more about to me, it's about vitriol against the lack of focus and vision and mm -hmm. taste in the DCCU overall. There's no one really right. There's no one really piloting the ship. Snyder right. is controlling the vision, but they're not mapping it in a masterful way, the way the Marvel movies have been. Mapped. Exactly. Exactly. Because, it, and I think it's Adam Feist. Right. And and they that, tried to that, jump that, to the end. They, DC DCEU doesn't have an Adam Feist. You're talking about Feige? Feige, sorry, yeah. yeah. So it, the DCCU tries to jump to the end, right? Like Justice right. League is a classic example. They just tried to skip right to the end and make an Avengers without... And what was brilliant about Marvel is creating all of those characters one at a time and then giving them their group. Now you've already invested and understand them individually, and now you're watching them as a as a team. DCCU mm -hmm. is jumping right to the end and saying, we're going to establish the team and then you're going to be really excited and then we'll make all the solo films. Right. And I think that it just shows that they don't understand the mechanism by which you get people to invest in these things. Right? Exactly. So Snyder's backing down and uh -huh. Joss Whedon has stepped up to complete the film. And what'll be interesting is when and the, the irony there, the irony there yes, is the Wonder Woman difficult. irony, right? Is, no, no, just, just that Joss was the one who helmed the Avengers and now it, it, it's sort of like uh, the Abrams effect, right. right? Right. That that I'll do Star Trek, and then I'll do Star Wars, and then maybe I'll just go do uh, 2001: A Space Odyssey because I can. Well, and but interestingly though, we don't know how much influence he's going to have on the finished product. He certainly doesn't. I mean, unless they do massive rewrite, they've said there's going to be these reshoots, and we didn't know what it was about. Maybe this is like that. He's going to say. I want things changed, and maybe that's what those reshoots were. The reshoots beyond the reshoots, right? The ones that think, alarmed people, maybe, related. But but I also think the final fingerprinting of the film and the aesthetic and the final editing has a long way to go to continuity. Yeah, you're right. But who's? But where's the meat of that? The bulk of that film, 99% of that film is Snyder's work. So well, Whedon's coming in so, almost but, as an editor, right? But that's what they said about – so here, here's here's my point. Prometheus, where they brought Lindelof and the other end to do the final touches, I think wrecked that film. I think the same thing could be said for uh, Alien 3, right, where the final retouches destroyed it. So well, that was editing touches. Uh, but also rewrites based yeah, on testing. In the field rewrites, right. Right. And, and, I, so and I saw the pre-screening version, and it was totally different. Yeah. Right. And so it would be really interesting to see what Joss brings to the table on the overall uh, arc. But it'd be hard, but the part, hard part, you know, in the absence of a documentary that tells us what happened, the hard part's going to be figuring out what you're seeing that's Whedon and what you're seeing as Snyder. Like how much really influence so? he's going to have. So visually, I think that the styles are completely different. So it'll be really interesting to see how they blend them. Yeah, but Whedon's not going right? to reshoot all of the film. It's going to be no, no, Snyder's but, but, visual... But those elements that he does will look like a jigsaw puzzle or will it look like a uh, continuum? I hope not. If because anything, it's going to be, you know, quiet scene at home and then cut back to all the stuff. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> so I don't here's know. A Barker Lodger, here's a Barker Lodger with a cigar <laughs> as opposed to, oh, I'm, I'm dragging out the entrails of Fish Boy. Um, Did you see 
uh, Amber Heard's costume in the Aquaman photos that were released? Yes. So that's the most comic appropriate costume in the entirety of the DCCU. And it's green, wet, it's green scaled bodysuit with the with the headdress. She looks like the comic version of Mira. And I've read stuff that says that the Aquaman version in Juan's film, at least at some point, has the green and gold, which I'm not thrilled about, but that's what I read. It's interesting, though, because what strikes me about Amber Heard in that is that she doesn't look dark and gritty and dark and and gray and armored. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's like the first time that we've seen that in any uh, anything in the DCCU, right? Yep. There's nothing. But 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 I would agree. It it resonates with how they're doing Aquaman with Jason Momoa. Right. I mean, James Wan. Yeah. They completely reinvented the, the imagery around that character. They really did. Yeah. And, and, and actually, I, I think it's the right move. Um, I think it's I think, I, I'm really I think, looking forward I think, to that, actually. Right, right. I think Aquaboy is like a orange and green, like, uh, dolphin lad would just go over like a lead duck on fire. You used to watch uh, <laughs> uh, Entourage, right? Oh, absolutely. Doesn't it trip you out that we now have the big the big budget Aquaman coming out, right? <laughs> but I when it was God. such a punchline but in the show. But wait, I thank God that Mark Wahlberg isn't in charge of it. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so right. do you have uh, – is there anything else that's coming down the pipe that's got you excited? Well, Transformers obviously has yeah, – Sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Super I can't thrilling. wait to see who the last night is uh, as long as it really is the last night. <laughs> I cannot even. I cannot even. I'm really interested I mean, in uh, – Dunkirk. Murder on the Dunkirk. Orient Express. And and Dunkirk, yeah. But Murder on the Dunkirk. Orient Express. The bigger the mustache, the more I'm interested in that movie, right? And uh, I will say I'm kind of uh, really positive on The Mummy. You know, there's been a lot of mixed feeling about that. But uh, on the one hand, I realized a few weeks ago that I was thinking about the imagery from The Mummy and realized I thought it was an M.I movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so that's a problem but on the other hand as particularly as the additional trailers have unfolded i like the framework that they're setting up i like that they're infecting him with it and he's part of it he is one of the monsters against his will i like right so here's my basic uh, my only concern on that is will it be like a reductionist version of tomorrow never dies yeah That, that yet again He's infected, and he can alter the fate of the future and save it, but against insurmountable odds. And then he brings around this cadre of the willing and committed, this this vagabond brigade of antiheroes. And then at the end of the day, he saves everything through self-sacrifice, which I actually think is probably a pretty good predictive tool for the entire thing. Do you Are you referring to All You Need Is Kill? Yes. Tomorrow I will never accept any other name but All You Need Is Kill. Which sometimes I write is all you need is told, to be quite honest. But yeah, I you oh, know no. I like I, you know I like I'm I like that, but also I just like the idea. Spinach. I, I like it. I like Tom Cruise being th- in in adversity. I like him being slapped around and having that shit face, right? And so this when he throws him down a Hercules, he, he's in a Hercules I, that's going straight to Earth, right? I love it, and he doesn't survive. Enough. Ironically enough, I think he actually assumes that as his base state. He really does. He hits his base state, and then he puts on the smile for when he needs to put on the smile. Right. And then... Whether it's on Oprah, Scientology or, events, or, and then he goes right, back or, to or Nicole, 
Kidman or you know Katie Holmes. Um, what's his name? What's her name? The uh, the female lead in the film. That sounds so terrible, but I can't remember that's, her name. That's not that's not appropriate. I think it's Rachel Wise, right? No, incorrect. Uh, I will tell you who it is. Mummy. I'm telling this out of my memory, not. Out well, I'm thinking. I'm thinking of. I'm thinking of Brandon. Sorry. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it's not. It's either Annabelle Wallace or Sophia Butella. Wrong. It's uh, no. You're entirely 100 percent wrong. And it's, no, it's Annabelle Wallace. So. That's what I said. I disregard what you said. So Annabelle Wallace, I completely fell for her on Peaky Blinders. Like, oh my god, I fell for her on that show. Just killed me how interesting she was. She has a physical presence. She's just so interesting to watch for a blonde potato. She's very interesting to watch. So I, I, uh, by the way, by the I, way, skew I, 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 I do not agree with that statement. <laughs> you don't, you don't like, you don't think she's interesting. I think she's much more than a blonde potato. She's not brunette. She's a blonde she's potato. Not a, she's not a potato. That's the option you have. So anyway, my point is, she's I love blonde. that she was cast for that. And I'm interested in her role in this. And I love Sofia Botella in this uh, as the mummy. I don't need multiple irises. I don't see what it no, gets I you. No, I do. To me, that, that, that resonates with Sting. Every... What? Yeah. Sting? I'm watching, I'm watching you. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> Multiple irises? What is the... I know it's she's a mystical creature. What's the evolutionary advantage of two irises on the same orbital structure? Nothing. Possession. Wrong. That there's something higher order everything, everything you've said now and <clears throat> throughout the podcast is incorrect. Well, you know. Also, Jake Johnson's in this movie. Yeah. No bueno. Russell... Uh, what? So the other thing that is really exciting me is Blade Runner. And I know you talked me off a ledge on this the first time. <laughs> I did. I really – I put a lot of – even back in the in the baby gym days when we would sit there, and our kids are probably killing each other. And I'm like, no, no, seriously, it's going to be good. <laughs> no, I, I was going to go Balkan dirt diving after the first <laughs> like Like without a helmet, I was just going to go like him first into a cement pile. Balkan dirt diving. <laughs> That's a thing you said. No, it's it's an actual thing. You just watch the Olympics. It's just not broadcast. Yeah, you're right. Um, yeah. It, it, <laughs> But I have so many second, high hopes. That second that second trailer convinced me that the goose may be able to pull this off. But will the t-shirt pull it off? That's a mm. cyber t-shirt. It's 2049. I don't know. I don't know. That t-shirt is m like monitoring your life signs, or it's yeah, yeah. a Kevlar t-shirt. Something. No, I, they couldn't I even that, but... put a line like a weird little seam in it to make it look cyber. Right? It's just a t-shirt. But, but my issue is. Will it really follow the continuum from Do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep? Or will it really Impossible. follow... How right. could it? How or could will it really follow the continuum from Blade Runner Director's Cut? Because it's not going to follow the cinematic. It's not going to be Director's Cut, right? Right. Because Director's Cut... Well, well, okay. So it's definitely not the mainstream... It's definitely not the mainstream release where he's human and she has no end date. It's right. not that. But if it's the director's cut where he sees the origami unicorn and that's it and then runs with her and that's it, then it could be that. Right. I just hope we get to see Edward James almost and Sean Young. <laughs> You're not as skeletons. So, oh, my God. How brilliant would that be if Edward James almost comes back as like the mentor to 
goose. And somehow he has to go, Brindoka, <laughs> you know, even though he's dead too. <laughs> they they have to digitally make that guy again, like Moff Tarkin. But so it's um that she <laughs> But then again, who does? <laughs> so uh also We're not nerds at all, by the such way. Such a shame you missed that out that uh, outdoor theater uh, viewing that we saw a couple months ago. That was amazing with all of the street sounds and the conking and the, and the super It was amazing. And like all the cars were all jammed up honking constantly and it perfectly fit the film. Yep. All right, Blake, we're back. We're back. We're back from the break. We may or may not have taken. Um, We talked about Blade Runner. I Mm -hmm. am. I have high hopes. I'm optimistic. I, I, so I, I'm firmly in the camp. I thought that uh, the first, it was going to be some like uh, gross boondoggle, like uh, cowboys versus aliens. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm actually hopeful that it could be something really compelling, much like I am still about the Aliens reboot um, that's coming down the pike that could be really powerful and compelling as well. Aliens reboot. Yeah. District 9. Oh. Is going to do. It's not going to happen. No. It is going to happen. It's not. It is. Really, Scott completely killed it. He said, only I get to make these movies. Even Blanca was saying it's not going to happen. I Uh, wanted it to happen. We'll see. We'll see. Ishtar happened, man. (laughs) Anything is possible. That's not a good. That's not a good reference. Um. Okay. Well, so here's the thing about Blade Runner. We've seen some great, interesting imagery. It looks fantastic. Lots of callbacks to the original. Yeah. What I like is we don't know what the story is. There's implications, but we don't know really what's happening. And that's the perfect kind of trailer for me. We see imagery. We get a sense of the mood. We see specific scenes that excite you. But you don't know overall what the plot is. We still don't know what the plot is of that film. But it brings back the visual aesthetic that was so defined by that movie, right? And and even to the the attempt that they did some hand waving around Vangelis on the soundtrack, on the soundtrack, <laughs> they actually they actually had some elements of the overtones uh, around that original soundtrack, and still that visual aesthetic about this. Uh, postmodern ruinous demise that humanity finds itself in and this this whole introspective element slash moral judgment against the other still holds true and i think i think that's the thing that i missed in the first trailer and i caught in the most recent one it's interesting that in the 80s when they did blade runner the nuance of the book wouldn't fly but today oh, if they were to adapt not. If they were to adapt Blade Runner, and actually, when I think of it, I think of Ryan Johnson, right? You look at mm-hmm. what he did with Looper. Mm-hmm. I can see Ryan Johnson adapting Android's dream, and it's really about the goats or the sheep. And and it's really about the real livestock and the desperate need to have the status of having real animals and doing Absolutely. all this shit to maintain that status in an artificial world. I can see them totally doing that. Especially in the world of gene editing. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Right. That, 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 that now it's not GMO. It's just manipulation. Right. And so now it's unfettered. Like, <laughs> screw the size restriction and there is no limit. Um, 
and and it, it's interesting. It's interesting to contemplate that cinematically there could be the culmination of um, Ridley's vision of Blade Runner, and there could still be another movie that is really true to do Androids Dream of Electric Sheep. I think you're right. right? I mean, and, and, and it could be both. And, and people may not even know that they're related. That's right. That's right. right? Playing in the same uh, universe, but a totally different pond, right? Right. And, and then we won't even get into the Gibson Matrix, you know, parallels on that. But, you know. How, gosh, I mean, it, and that's an interesting aside because as I'm working my way through now, I, I think I'm current on the Gibson stuff. And he's been doing this near, much nearer future, near-term contemporary stuff. Well, he, you already can, predict, he, he already predicted it 30 years out, so right. not it five years out. Right. And then, and, then, and then you compare that to what he did before. It's interesting to imagine that there could be – you take Johnny Mnemonic off the table. And there could be a <laughs> – like, like But actually, like, Deneuve from uh, Blade Runner, doesn't he have the rights to uh, – isn't he, isn't he working on Neuromancer or is it someone else? No, I think it is. It's the same dude working on Neuromancer. Holy crap. I mean... But, but, but the question is, is that how they're going to differentiate it from... But I feel like it's somewhere between the two, because the the original Gibson books, they have enough about them that would have to be mutated heavily to make them seem relevant. Although, super fans like us would like to see the decks and everything. and it, it, We, we oh, want to see it out of the 80s, but... Because, because we can accept that it's the future from the 80s, and, and that would be interesting to see. But I can see some some combination of his contemporary work with his 80s work blended together in a film. I can see that. Absolutely. Happening. But I also think that you can take a page from The Terminator, <clears throat> right, which is for whatever you think about the series and the aesthetic of it, they were very good in the latter movies about taking the current state of technology assessment and then extrapolating what it would look like if you were doing that human to cyborg transition. Right. right? And, and I think with uh, Johnny Mnemonic, and I think with a lot of Gibson technology advents, because he defined it, and all the, the geeks like us build it, there could be a really interesting continuum of technology advance that would be a really interesting plot vehicle. I agree. Right? It's like, what is the tipping point of humanity? Like, Deus Ex Machina kind of danced around that. Um, but I think you could have a much deeper exploration through cinema about what that would look like. And I also think that you let's not overlook um, Steven with Snow Crash about Avatars. Oh, Stevenson, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that, that, that Neil Stevenson, that he can actually go into Snow Crash and, like, really make a robust assessment of where humanity is versus where it wants to be and the embodiment of avatars being the best of us and the worst of us at the same time. And I, I think there's a, there's a, a, some really compelling dichotomies that are pervasive through our life that could really make some compelling film. It's interesting that the Hollywood has embraced superheroes and they've gone crazy and you have black lightning is a, is a CW film that's coming up or whatever. And then mm-hmm. you have, you know, eight, Eighth generation of Marvel characters, the uh, Cloak and Dagger have a have a series, and you know the original. Spoiler alert: the original Guardians of the Galaxy are shown, and all this other stuff. Right. And the there's not just Gibson, but there are a number of wonderful 
cyberpunk era stories that are ripe for today's type of filmmaking that I would and love Bruce, to and, see. Right. And Bruce Sterling but, and, and Asimov. Right. Right. right? Uh, Walter uh, John Williams. Right. And Sterling and Gibson. And, you know, to be to be honest, I have a feel. So you and I, as I mean, this is something we have to come back to another time. But, you know, we're reading the books on Expanse after watching the show Expanse. <laughs> what an inspiring adaptation Mm-hmm. On a channel that gets so much flack for just being whatever, like throwing shit against the wall and hoping nerds like it, I cannot believe how well they've adapted that book to series. I, it still influences how I read it. I'm reading ahead of what the what the show showed at this point, right? I'm in the back end of Caliban's War, and I cannot get my head. I can't get my head out of what I've seen in the show. Mm-hmm. The show has defined how I see these things. It was literal and detailed enough to make me completely believe in its world mm-hmm. and, and, and compelling. Yeah. That, that, that it can actually, it can actually give you uh, like a mindset to view current and future developments. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing with game of Thrones with Martin's work, right? It, you know, I haven't it, read it, Martin's it, work, but I've just seen it. Uh, so, so, so I've read it all. And now after having, seen Game of Thrones, I've changed what I know about the books to fit the series. Right, right. right? I, I'm not saying, it, it, it's not like how I was with J.R.R. Tolkien and Lord of the Rings where I was like uh, trying to force the movies to fit that perspective. Now I'm actually using the visual input to dictate the written element. I feel and like I, I haven't I, read a lot of books that were adapted. I mean, I've, certain fantasy books like Tolkien and whatever else have been adapted, but a lot of the sci-fi that I've read wait, 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 wait a minute. has not except been adapted, for, so I don't have that problem except for Expanse. Except for every comic book you've ever written. Well, sure. But I mean, just in terms of the way... But sci-fi, hard sci-fi versus the cyberpunk kind of stuff, they're very specific tones. They have a certain look to them, and they have a, they have a style of storytelling. And until Expanse, I really haven't seen it on film. Mm-hmm. Either of those categories, right? <clears throat> so Absolutely. I'm really, I'm really inspired by that. I love it. I love that that's happening. I love that they've taken that risk. I put a lot of work and a lot of money into showing aluminum gray corridors in the middle of Ganymede Station, right? Like, it just... Well, even the flashback sequences that are alluded to in the book and kind of like these highlight thematic elements between chapters... They've actually become major plot threads. It's open ended. You believe right? that's a, that you believe that's a farm on Montana that has right. twelve parents and three children or whatever it is. You you right. believe those scenes, those cutscenes, absolutely. And Ganymede also, and then the faster than light travel, and then like all those disruptive technologies. But but I will point to what I think is one of the landmark series in sci fi, which is Battlestar Galactica. Oh sure. On sci-fi, and, but, and but, think, but that show redefined what you could do with those kinds of products, right? That show completely rewrote the script. But it was sci-fi. Agreed. Channel. Agreed. Right. You're right. And, and and they're the ones who came up with the plan and made it happen. You know, it's funny. So all, all, all these disparaging things about the magicians, like being soft porn uh, with Harry. I Potter. haven't watched that yet, but I've heard your wife loves it. No, I, it is soft porn with Harry Potter. It's kind of cool. The um. <laughs> I didn't mean that as a disparaging comment, and I heard your wife likes it. But I just mean she likes it. <laughs> so I no, need no, to no. watch it. I haven't no, gotten no, to that, it yet. 
she'll come visit you later about that comment. It's okay. Right. Um, I might like that. But I, but, but, but I think sci the sci-fi channel has actually taken a lot of risk and a lot of it has paid off. A lot of it is crap. Um, Did you watch but, Defiant? But, Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Was that good? Yeah, it was. And Stargate Universe. Hmm. Which, which I, to me was the best Stargate series ever. I've said this before, but when I first saw Battlestar Galactica, the miniseries, I was not on board. Really? I, it rubbed me the wrong way. Everything I loved about it once I started watching it as a series, I didn't like as a miniseries. The, the weird, like, jerky cam, the like, of all the ships jetting out of their bays, and all of the, the swarm of, like, the swarm of insects that was the, the dogfighting. I felt like this was like made for cable. It just felt, it felt like amateur. It felt like a Vancouver Doctor Who. I felt like off. I was watching a sweeted version of a good version of Battlestar Galactica. So then I go back to it and I, and you know, and I watch it by the time it's already got two or three seasons in or whatever it is. And I started watching the first two and I got to that second, uh, award-winning episode right and i'm like oh my that god second episode, that second episode it's one of the best was ever a turning right? point for me right, right. like it was it 23 right. minutes or whatever it was yeah and that 27 uh, or something minutes and it was yeah. like that was the point where i realized this is an amazing thing then i went back and i watched the miniseries to catch up with the show mm -hmm. and i was completely sold seeing the miniseries a second time under that context i've heard people say for example they saw i've heard reviewers say they saw guardians of the galaxy the first time in the environment of all the other press and Marvel people there and everything else. And they were like, Oh, this is cheap and canned and, you know, fan service and not, you know, not flowing and whatever. And then they went back, then they went home and saw it with their friends and we're like, Holy shit. I love it. And I feel like there's something about that happened with Bowser. Like the first time when that miniseries came out, I was dubious mm -hmm. about the whole construct of remaking these things on cable channels. Like I just didn't think it was going to work mm -hmm. and I saw it and I was like, eh, and turn it off. I turned it off well before any any uh, interesting reveals and twists happened. Had those happened, I probably would have stayed. Like I probably watched the first twenty minutes. I was like, eh, and turn it off, not realizing what I was seeing. And then I recontextualized it when I saw it the second time. And I said, this mm -hmm. is amazing. But the, and, and and bringing it back to the original point that we were discussing about the the whole superhero complex and why they're so popular. I read a really good. I think it was the New York Times. Uh, op-ed about it that the, one of the possible reasons why they're so pervasive and popular now is that we're looking for the easy way out to redeem our situation. Right, right. That, like, like, like how how beautiful would it be if we actually had a Superman that could just like dive down into the White House and extricate right. a preconceived notion of a bad idea. And... Uh, <laughs> Interesting, though, about it, Superman, that you say that, though, that Superman was a, you know, wish fulfillment fantasy of oppressed Jew creators, right? Exactly. And then and then it was adopted to, by the mainstream once it was in publication, and it became a symbol for rising up in the ashes of wartime. And the American As a dream. civilian population in the American yes. dream and all this stuff and mutated very quickly out of that minority view and into this sort of majority appropriation. But you're right. It's always been about we're fucking things up constantly, 24-7. Right. We're cynical. We're stupid. We eat, we eat our young. 
and we eat each other alive. But here's an example of what we were told in high school that we were supposed to be as a country, right? right. And, and so, and, and then it gets back to the, the differentiating, I think, philosophy. If I may, I could be completely wrong on this. But, you may. Um, DC is one of those that humanity can't save itself without these people, right? Right. And Marvel on the and Marvel is like, and Marvel is like, we're just fucked. And uh, well, these and, people will save us from the ground up. But they're right? fucked too. And they're, they are, they're flawed. They are fucked, they're but they flawed. become their fuck, fucked upness, right? Marvel, Sometimes. When Marvel, Sometimes. when Marvel found their voice in the '60s, it was about the civil rights movement, right? It was about right. the disenfranchised taking power, right? Or Whereas, not really, or the disenfranchising, disenfranchised fighting the 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 establishment and surviving, but without a happy ending, a so, difficult yeah, survival. So to me, my my perspective is that in Marvel, the hero is within all of us, right. and in and in DC, the hero has to be introduced to us. Yeah, right, and save us from ourselves. Right, and remind us of what we're supposed to be, etc. Or, or or not, like, uh, or just tell us who we're supposed to be to to get things done. Right, and so the. It's a very interesting balance between the two different philosophies, and I, and I just think it was manifested itself in a lot of ways versus the BBS and, uh, like, Civil War. Yeah, right. Sure. Right? So. So, hey, did you see – did you oh, see – Oh, that's not mine. That's bad. What was that? That was supposed to be a beverage. It turned out to be something else. Wait, What? Is that where you that was that your bathroom break? Did you just drink your own urine? This no. is not the Navy. You don't need to do that anymore, man. Well, don't ask, don't tell. The um, <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I think that was an attempt at a wine spritzer by my wife that failed hideously. I see. Yeah, but anyway, uh, go back to your point. So, what I was going to say was, did you see Ghost in the Shell? Absolutely. A day after you did, as a matter of fact. Okay, so let's – I know we have other things to review, but let's do a micro-review of Ghost in the Shell in the context of what we were talking about, which is adapting media from the 80s and 90s mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. was very steeped in its in its culture and its technology and its panic, political panic of the time. A very difficult product to adapt with a huge rabid following – that across the world had very different attitudes about the film. Mm-hmm. So, and whether they wanted to see it or not. Right. So let me ask you this. What did you think when you saw it? I loved it. I loved it too. <laughs> Tell you what. I loved no, it. No, no. I, I, I really I loved did. It. I, 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 I thought the image, imagery. It was great. I thought the cinematography. I thought set design, character development. I, I loved it. When you watch it, could you not believe how much they got Japanese cyberpunk right? The city streets, the DeLoreans, or not the DeLoreans, like the Lotuses and whatever, all boxy, but like futuristic at the same time, and all of the neon and everything. It looks so much like what it was supposed to look like in our mind's so it, eye. It, it, it was perfect. So I've been to Tokyo and Shanghai and Hong Kong a lot, and I can see Tokyo, Shanghai, and Hong Kong looking like that in the next 10 years. Right, like the, the huge 30-foot heads and the advertising oh, and everything else. The giant koi. 
Right. Which was straight out of which reminded me, having just finished Spook Country, was of course just the parallel to those those helium balloons. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, amazing. No, no. I, I went into it thinking. Much, and, I went into thinking that it. I went to it thinking that it was born to lose. Can it redeem itself with details? Because of all the negative stigma, because of the fact that there was these reviews were were just obliterating it beyond the whitewashing thing. I was like, well, it's supposed to be a hot mess. Will I like it for the details? But it wasn't the hot mess they said it was. Mm. It was it was a plot centric story. And yes, it skirted some of the fundamental thematic issues of the of the manga and the OIVs, but for fuck's sake, what are they supposed to do? So Spend my three and a half is, hours go crazy? No, no. So my question is, how many of those folks that panned it actually know the source material? I agree. Just right? like just and, like and, when they were asking uh, Japanese whether they cared that Scarlett Johansson was going to be the main character, they're like, sounds great. I, yeah. I honestly wonder how many of the people that were pissed off. There's going to be the, the hardcore fringe that didn't like it because it wasn't three hours of butt shots and, let's be honest, completely amateur night existentialism. Shiro was a great illustrator. That story is not sophisticated. No, it's not like at a guy, all. he's masturbating on paper for fucking ever. It's not easy to read Ghost in the Shell to me. To me. No, no. Well, it, and plus they had like 10 minute pauses uh-huh. of like um, some Ben Jealous on Acid esoteric. Right. Right. Cyber dolphins going by and whatever right. else. Right. I totally agree with you. In the but in it, the movie, when she takes a dive and she's laying there under the at the bottom of this polluted body of water in this neo tokyo which is really bay. hong kong bay. right yeah crossway bay or whatever it is they spent th- like 30 seconds there and then she came up and then she says i can be there because i can i can you know whatever i'm i'm alone i'm i'm well, by myself and I, there and i don't need to breathe i don't need to breathe in the in the in the manga it's like 50 pages yeah of butt shots swimming through cyberspace or whatever it is so it's like you know come on I think people judged it in some ways. Some of the negative reviews are people judging it against their mental image of Ghost in the Shell, not the reality of what that material was. I thought it was a pretty damn good attempt at adapting it into something that made sense. I, I would even be more bold than that. I would say the people that were judging it against the source material had no idea what the source material was. That's, that's probably and, true, too. And, and they had some preconceived notion about what is appropriate mm-hmm. and what is not. And I think... Uh, it was one of those remakes that was kind of doomed from the start. Um, but I loved it. I thought, I thought the cinematography was excellent. I thought the translation and uh, respect to the source material was great as much as it could be. Um, I loved that the closing credits were the opening theme from <laughs> the, the original movie. It's amazing. And, and, and I thought the action sequences and some of the nuances of the character development actually went beyond what the original movie did in a way that made it much more compelling to me, viscerally. viscerally. One of my favorite, possibly, well, hmm, let me think about this. One of my, we're going to talk about the red tentacle in a bit, but one of them, for me, is the way they showed us the garbage collectors who have been compromised weeks in advance and how they're bullshitting along in a dead body, they're lit. They're borrowed time. They don't even know that they've been compromised, and then they get switched on, 
and they go and they do the thing. The trailers showed the invisible fight in the in the in the shallow water and all that. But that part with those guys was really poignant to me, right? Because that was cyberpunk future shock of the eighties. It was I don't know when my consciousness ends. I don't know when I lose myself to the world of technology. That was it. Those guys. They were already lost. Just like when right. he when he's back and he's being interviewed, it's the same thing. So what is real? What is the human experience? Right. And how do you prove it? When he's when he's suspended like that in the in the uh interrogation box or whatever and he's like talking and they're saying well you don't have a daughter and she was never playing piano whatever it was they were saying about his implanted memories and he's like despondent because he's like what are you talking about it's mm-hmm. my life you're talking about right so again it, it leads me back to a, a modern simulacrum of the GOP <laughs> so I thought the casting was great I thought I thought that the way that they structured it so that the nominal villain was not the villain and Mm -hmm. is a sympathetic character, which is not easy to do. Mm -hmm. I found him convincing. I found their relationship convincing. I loved the finale with the spider tank, even if we never got any Fuchikomas, which is my... Let me tell you right now, that's my bad octopus for for this film. My bad octopus is we didn't get Fuchikomas, but I will say... Thinking as a producer, if you have Fuchikomas, you make the spider tank less impressive. <laughs> right? Yes. If you don't have the Fuchikomas, or the Tachikomas, sorry, the, the Tachikomas, then the spider tank is that much more like, what is going even, what is even going on with this structure? Right? right. Little, but, little spider tanks running around, you're already used to it. But to me, the plot vehicle is the assassination of the individual by the state. Right through some huge technological superiority so it can manifest itself in any way that he wanted to. And the fact that they were going after both of them, particularly Kuze, in the former domicile where they were living as homeless people who were taken out and and used because they were nobodies in the first place. That was very poignant. They were the expendables. Right. And they went back home before they got taken out, which was great. My thing was about the whole mom sequence and then at the end... Oh, you know, she's, she's some religious holy warrior, and mom's okay because she knows that the kid lives on. There, that, it was a little cop out, touchy feely thing for me there, but it, it, it passed muster. There, there was a reach when uh, when she shows up at the door, and and she not oh whatever it is, and the and the woman comes out and goes oh come in and just makes her tea and instantly embraces her. There was no pretense for that. It made right. me think of, for some reason, it made me think of the original Blade Runner when he's like, did anyone uh, ask you to do anything that, will, you know, like the weird, the, the oh, yeah. pretense that he used to get in there? I'm, I'm with the style of committee, your body. Uh, moral in practice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Did they make you do anything against your will? Like, do you see where I work? <laughs> Touch your body. Put your hands on your right. body. Yeah, I mean, there was like, she didn't even, there wasn't even any premise, any pretense of that. She just invited her in, poured some tea and said, hmm. But, uh, but even so, that, the, the, the set design in her apartment was better than most mainstream films we watch. Absolutely. If you look at that apartment, the way it was, she's not like desperate, but she's not 
doing well. She's got limited funds. She's reusing a lot of material. She's trying to, you know, trying to maintain, she's trying to control her environmental conditions through very, very rudimentary means for that time period, like a fan Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, hanging fabrics here and there or whatever. She's maintained the childhood environment that her daughter had, the little shrine that she's made for her, everything Mm -hmm. about it. And then all the, the, the used quality of her pots and things and what she used to boil the water and everything. It was such a lived environment that I felt like that person had lived in there for 30 years. Absolutely. But, uh, and I also liked how they describe Scarlett's life, right? Like, she is this void looking for context and meaning. Right, right. Right? And, 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 it, and, it's that, it, and it equated to like that basic existential question of, Andy, why am I here? What does it matter? And what am I supposed to do? Did you notice, and, that, she, did you notice that she's basically a Julie Mao? Yeah. She, uh, she wouldn't, didn't come from rich, a rich background, but she left the loving confines that she was in. She rebelled and was a bitch. She went off on her own. She went homeless and was a radical and got in way over her head, right? So it's straight up Julie Mao. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very interesting that they, they showed her home environment as something that seems very sympathetic. But at the same time, if you think of teenagers and how they act, it doesn't matter whether you're in a perfect home or a broken home. Teenagers are like, this shit is terrible no matter what you do, right? right. That was very convincing. And, and the fact that you're always going to rebel against the norm, right. no matter how great it is. Uh, right, so it, yeah. I, I thought it was very, I thought it was very interesting and fun that the director had this old ass revolver that he's this big caliber revolver that he's taking people out with, which was such a, which is such a statement, right? In this future world where everything is new and everything is perfect. And he's pulling out these old school shit, right? As his sidearm. I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. But I think it also goes to the old man movie genre right. that was represented by that character, right? Sure. And and I think it was it was it was actually um fantastic that they actually pulled that out and went back to the most recent incarnation of those characters and brought it back to the film because it was really um old man that brought that actor to the mainstream in America. Like old boy, old boy. Sorry. Old boy. Yeah. Sorry. Well, what great casting, right? I mean, he was I, half halfway through the film. I was like, when did he have a stroke? Because he was, he was, he was, he seemed to have only have half his face, but then he had, uh, he had symmetry in his body motion. So I don't know if it's just age or whatever, but it seemed like he, had lost motor function in his face on one side, but again, you know, not in the rest of his body. I don't know. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was Takeshi Kitano. I just looked yeah. it up. That uh, yeah, I mean, he's like a hero, like a hero in in that whole genre, and it was great that they could bring him back for that. So there's a lot of really great settings. The cinematography was amazing. I loved a lot of the settings, the uh, the infrastructure of their home base, the old apartment blocks that they showed, obviously the downtown and, and, and how oversaturated it was, but dark at the same time and all the water, the use of water three or four or five times in the film. Um, 
and how polluted the water was. Oh, absolutely. Um, right. Did you uh, do you think that there you, is that there is no there is no cleansing right through a batter, the, through a water ritual here. There's no amount of washing you can do right. to make it clean. Right, which is a great metaphor in the whole. Oh, arc. totally, and it, and it was full Kubrickian when she was laying in her internally illuminated bed, getting her data uploads while she slept, and then she would <laughs> kind of sit up and unplug the stuff. That was, yep. you know, seeing one one point perspective, it looked great. What do you think? Uh, do you do you think you could assign your red tentacle to this film? What was your red tentacle moment or concept in this film? The best of the best. Hmm. So the best of the best is probably pretty subtle relative to the rest of it. To me, it was a, it was the character development between Scarlet's character and her main sidekick. Yep. Mateau. And Mateau. And Mateau. And actually, when he went to the fishing boat, that was great. And and offered her a beer and, she wouldn't take. Right. And 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 try to connect again to make sure that things were copacetic and that she was still trying to hold on to humanity as opposed to surrendering into digital. To me, oh, yeah, the, the the I mean, all, all the great special effects aside, it's to me it's still story driven and character driven, and so that little moment where they they actually, to me, outside of a context of a backstory and everything else, they actually cemented their relationship, and that no matter what, they were going to stick true to each other. That was my red tentacle moment. And I really appreciate the fact that it didn't devolve immediately into a romantic relationship. It was a partner oh. companion understanding each other and it didn't have to be generic also it i just don't remember it from the original material it was very interesting that he started out human well whatever cyber enhancements he had but he was nominally human had the injury had the optics put in mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then was forced to the idea of optic like in the cyberpunk days uh cyber optics was like 100 percent positive all these mm -hmm. additive features that you could have, particularly when the role-playing environment, it's like all oh, this stuff I can see and do. But for him, I was struck in the movie that he lost the human way of seeing things, which means it redefines your life, which means you are no longer human because you are not perceiving the world the way a human did. And that and, bound and, him to her, right? And, and manifested itself in the fact that she was more human than him Right. To go feed the dogs. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. And, and so that was a layer that was, to me, really powerful. Like, I can't I help but wonder if that. this movie is one of those ones where 10 years from now they're going to be like, oh, you know, Ghost in the Shell, an auteur's dream, a cult classic, right. you know? Well, sort of like Blade Runner. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> But, but the fact that they had that level of nuance to it, and like, I don't want to freak out the dogs. Can they go feed them for me? And she's less human than him. Yeah, absolutely. By a long stretch. But because of the form factor and the optics and, and, and the whole uh, transparency of the human condition, real or perceived, she was more acceptable than him. There were elements. And, 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 that, and that fundamental interaction with the world. There were some elements in the film where the technology didn't match up. For example, the spider tank didn't have predictive processors or anything else and it was just randomly shooting like it's world war ii and you expect it to have targeting ais oh, it was but on the other hand expansion. something i'm gonna nerd out for here for example uh as a 
artist and writer of comic stuff, but also as a role-playing game judge for years upon years, who was big into world-building and trying to make things feel realistic to the players. One of the biggest problems I had in Cyberpunk, going back to when I beta-tested the original rules of that game, was that there was nothing in the basic framework of the game to show how the divide between the cyber enhancements and the physical body was not superpowers, right? And so like, mm-hmm. I would constantly Im- impress upon my players, particularly through the use of NPCs, that just because you have a cyber arm doesn't mean you have super strength. Mm-hmm. I had multiple examples of people who would try to lift, and I had players try to do it too, and I did it to them, because that's the kind of judge I was. But I have multiple examples of where p- someone would try to do something extraordinary like lift a car, and then they would pop all of the connection points of the arm against the body because they didn't have the physical leverage, which goes back even to superhero RPGs and stuff, right? Like, how could they ever even have the leverage to do the things they're doing? They're going to fall through the floor rather than stop the thing that they're trying to stop. Well, anyway. And the $6 million man. Sure. Right. So okay, how, did, so how much I, did I love I, How much did I love in this movie that she's pulling that shit to try to just open the, open the lid of a tank? And you see her pushing... To will, she's pushing her physical structure beyond the safety tolerances of what it's designed to do, and you see all of these artificial muscle fiber groups bursting. That's all I've ever wanted out of cyber cyberware in media. I want I want to show. I want them to show that your brain can tell that shit to do more than it can do in the same way that we can tell our bodies to do more than they can do. Right. Well, and, and that physics still applies. And physics apply. I just loved it. I to me, I was jumping up and down in that, and I know I'm a minority in the world that saw that film. But to me, that no, no, was no. a high point for me. No, I, it's the same thing when I see space films that actually adhere to what happens in space in a vacuum. How about 2010 when what's his name's character is hyperventilating across the spacewalk, and all you hear is him breathing, and you don't hear any stupid space sounds. It's just him breathing, and you see the condensation on the on the helmet and he's mm-hmm. freaking the fuck out. And all he's got to do is walk along the rope and hold on to the two ropes and he'll get to the other ship. And he's losing his fucking shit because anybody who's had a panic attack halfway through a rope bridge or some other event will know what that feels like. That was real lo- space. Because logic no longer applies and right. it's you against the multiverse. At that and we point. didn't hear, and we didn't hear the sounds of space and we didn't hear anything other than him in the vacuum of his helmet. Well, not the mm-hmm. vacuum, but in the limited confines of his helmet and his crazy breathing. And as much as I love all of these other shows we watch, and I understand the storytelling mechanism for sound effects in space, I get it. I totally get it. But I love the few projects that have shown the space stuff in pure silence. Well, the nerd in me loves that. Well, 2001, Stanley right. Kubrick. Right. Right, especially when they find the monolith, and it's all silent, and then it's not Oh, it yeah. actually makes it actually makes it that more dramatic. Absolutely, right. So my red tentacles on Ghost in the Toll, I have two. One is the aforementioned uh, Ghost Ghost in the Toll. Ghost in the Toll. What I told you, it's always going to apply. So one is the aforementioned garbage truck drivers because you had this beautifully rendered small talk about family life and then all of a sudden it's like and then they they just go and it was so tragic the minute they go you feel terrible for them uh so, i love that sort of sort of, sort of like uh, polling stations in ohio yeah, yeah i get it uh, yeah 
And then uh, the other red tentacle moment I have is I absolutely love the cyber geishas. I didn't need them go spider. I didn't like the spider moment where they broke their limbs up and climbed the thing. Just the walking down the the sort of catwalk or whatever it is or the runway and then going behind the guys and then their heads splitting open. And I saw the thing Adam Savage uh, recorded uh, where he showed all that that was all practical effects. And it's just so wonderful. I love the design mm-hmm. of those geishas and the design of their golden cores and everything. Oh, just, I loved it. Loved it. So what about you? What was your red tentacle? Did you tell me already? Did I forget? I told you. We already oh. did it. Oh, it was, uh, the it moment was... when they're on the fishing boat together. Oh, right. The fishing boat moment. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, and, and the second, and, and the second one would be the primordial hacker core when they're tapping into brains to, do parallel computing operations. So what was your bad octopus moment for this film? Or bad octopus concept or whatever. Bad octopus, no. bad octopus being the thing we like the least, which was named by Chris a few episodes ago based on my horrible experiences in Jakarta where right. I ate too many things and got too many right. viruses. Let's not revisit biology. It's um, terrible. It was a terrible experience. Yeah. So to me, it was it was how predictable the 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 bad guy was. Armitage. Yeah, and, and how predictable it was with uh, uh, Michael Penn's character about being the bridge hmm. to that, and, and and like the huge other. Just the way that they portrayed it, just the way they manifested it, it was very simplistic and reductionist for me. That's all. I I really liked that Armitage was looking at a simul a weird physicals. I love the phys- I love physical interfaces as opposed to pure digital interfaces. Even down to Krypton's crazy same yeah, yeah. very similar effect. The weird uh, anthracite bits of magnetic material. Uh, not anthracite is what I'm saying. Uh, fer- feral material where it, where it's powder or something and it kind of forms a shape and then it disappears again. I it's love a, that stuff. They call it a feral fluid. Yeah, it's a feral fluid. Exactly what I said. Uh, so I love that he was looking at a display in his courtyard. It was an open courtyard, like a weird abandoned apartment area or apartment complex. And he's looking at this display. It could have been like 90210 or uh, uh, what was it? Beverly... Yeah, whatever. The what was the other one after nine hundred two and zero? Beverly Hills bullshit. Was that what it was called? <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know the reference because I didn't pay any attention to that phase because I was in Nebraska, so you know we didn't do that. There was a show uh, after nine hundred two and zero that was basically uh, people living in L.A. and it was set in a bungalow apartment building complex where they had a pool in the center and then they had a wraparound. Uh, it was like it was like Madison's courtyard, right? Yeah, and it was very reminiscent of what you really do see in a lot of old LA, which I grew up in, and I liked that. Except I hated that show. So he was in that like the demolished version of that, and yet he had this display that he was watching the battlements and the act actions of the of his tank versus the others on that display, and then she came and killed him, and then he fell into it and sunk below the water. The imagery of that I thought was stupendous. Um, mm-hmm. As far as bad octopus goes, I would say one is a minor detail. Melrose Place. Melrose. Melrose Place. Yeah, so right. one bad octopus, very, very, very nitpicky, is 
in the in the manga, when the assassins approach the geisha room, their suitcase guns, they click a thing on the handle, and then the casing of the gun, which comprises the briefcase, slides down, and you have the gun, and there's the imagery that they're still carrying a briefcase, but there's the gun barrel between the handle and the body of the briefcase, and they're firing the shit out of them. I love that. And in the... Unless I'm misremembering it, I don't know. But in the movie, they press the thing or whatever, and then the, the case falls away, and it's just a little compact SMG. And I And so... I, I miss that about the original design. Very small, very minor. Um, and then I think... I think also I would say... I think it would have been more interesting if Scarlett Johansson's character addressed the different, the physical differences between herself and other humans. In other words, there was a fine line. She had this neoprene rubberized flesh body suit, which I originally thought was her actual body, but it's not, it's a suit mm-hmm. with the holster and everything. No, they, and then, they, went to great, they went to great lengths to try and de-objectify the form right. to make it like a sexual statement, and which I, I actually love, thought was great. It, down to the first trailers, I love the fact that you can tell that it's Scarlett Johansson's body as she's running slow-mo through the thing, shooting everybody, and it's not the emaciated Hollywood body. As many people mm-hmm. that would say that Scarlett Johansson is part of the mechanism that makes girls feel bad about themselves, this was not the emaciated version that you would have thought the CGI would make. It looked like her in a bodysuit because it was they made the thing we saw the footage of it they made the bodysuit in rubber and stuck it to her and it was really hard right but and so and, and, and i and i would offer up lucy as an alternative sure uh, like they didn't point on that that they didn't make her ultra sexy and ultra chic in I that thought, movie at all i thought it would have been interesting since she knows she's a cyborg and she there's never been the premise to the audience or to her own consciousness that she's a human. I thought it would have been interesting that they would show her. You remember how they had scenes where she just looked at herself in the mirror. I wanted Mm -hmm. to see scenes where she took off the thing and she was naked in front of a mirror and she doesn't have nipples or -hmm. she doesn't have genitalia Mm -hmm. and she's looking at it and she touches it or whatever. And she's thinking, and it's like, she's it's her brain and her memories of being human versus this body that's very tactical. In fact, it shouldn't have even had breasts or anything. It didn't need them, right? It should have just been a a, a, a completely androgynous form. C-3PO. And it would have been interesting. It would have been interesting to see her ex- considering that because they had that moment where she went and had this. She went with that whatever cyber cyber prostitute and kissed that woman, and then. Whatever, and then there's the implication that she has strong feelings for Bateau and the others, but they never really but, get there. They never get there I, to show that she's divorced from that physically. So I would have taken it one step darker than that, and and that is that basic human need to feel anything. Yeah, sure. And I think it would have been great to show her like try to self mutilate. Totally. Right. I to, thought to that when and, we watched to, it. I totally to, to thought try that. And, you're right. To, yes. Like try and feel again. Right. Right. And, right. And, right. Like, right. And like. The, and suffering is at the core of the human condition and and like trying to connect back to that I thought would have been really compelling so That's I didn't I didn't consider that like a ragged octopus I just thought it was a missed opportunity well 
Right when you said and that. It, and, and it would have offered some really stark contrast to the anime. I agree. Yeah. Right? Like, like, like just sitting there, like uh, you could take a Logan ripoff and where X-23 is cutting herself and healing. Uh, Which was great about that. Yeah, right. Right. But the same thing that she could have said, okay, what is this thing that I'm inhabiting? Who am I? What do I feel, if anything? And that basic uh, attempt at reconciliation between what the brain expects to feel versus what it's receiving. I think that's very interesting. And in fact, uh, the that could have really played up the, the feeling of isolation that you're trapped in the body, which Kuze suggested. Kuze was strongly suggesting that the meat that they were left with was not relevant. Which he, is his whole ghost, thing which was, is the, which is the ghost in the shell, right? He, his whole thing was get out of the body. You don't need it. Become part of the system and, and, and live forever. However, it would comma, have been interesting. Huh? However, comma. Yes. <laughs> It, it, it's part of what what makes us human, right? Right, right, right. Which she, and, she and understood, if, and if, he didn't, right? And then if you lose it, what does that mean? Like, if if you have immortality without humanity, immersed in humans, what does that mean? Yeah, she never. You never saw her personally, privately conflicted. You saw her ask, questioning herself, and like. What's real? What's not? And is she my mommy? Well, like, Whatever. But, but it would have been interesting. Those scenes where she's in her apartment being mm-hmm. recharged and dreaming or whatever it is she's doing were the most powerful scenes in the film. It was and, there's no one else but her <laughs> and her and her artificial body. Right. And, and, and her false seen, memories. Right. And have you seen The Leftovers? Not yet. OK, so that's a show. I heard where- it's good. Right, there's a large segment of the population that sublimates, and right. and then every, everybody else is left with the psychic and physical discharge of that, and they're trying to redefine what humanity is. And when they're alone, they do all sorts of twisted shit. And I think if you could have seen that in her room, like very highly compartmentalized, very segmented, and very process-oriented, right. Right. to try and prove to herself if she is who she actually thinks she is. Right. And all those false memories and, and real memories and all those flashbacks, that, that could have been an externalization mechanism that could have been really powerful and interesting. I had, a, I had a thought when I was there in the theater, which was I wanted to see her randomly. I just it, it came to me that I wanted to see her almost like it's ritual, that it's the end of the day and she's going to go lay down before she lays down on that cyber slab that she picks up her thing and shoots herself in the face, like shoots mm-hmm. herself in the head mm-hmm. and lays down. And when she wakes up, they've rebuilt her body and she's ready to go. Mm-hmm. And the depression of, I don't have the risk. So therefore my life doesn't have the same meaning because I can't, I can't leverage. I cannot take, I cannot bet it all. Right. right. There is no end point. Right. So what is the point of gambling? Why didn't people watch this movie, man? It was great. No, I, 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 I loved it. I cannot wait to get it on yeah. Blu-ray, honestly. But I, I, I think they could have asked some deeper questions that I still think most of the American yeah. populace would have would have lost. I, you know, to be, I mean, I agree that there was there could they could have gone deeper on some stuff, but at the same time, I don't know. I felt like as a as an overall story, 
it had a good balance between plot and some thematic backbone to it. Right. I don't know. At one point, I mean, Shiro's material, the biggest criticism you can make is that it, it goes, it diverges from interesting pl- technical plot points to fuck, just off the rails bullshit for 50 pages and then they're back again. So, no, no, but, 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 but it was about fetishization, right? It, it was that objectification. So, but I actually think, uh, and before we close, I think it would have added some depth to the antagonist. Of, like, so she had this experience of trying to prove her human embodiment, prove that it's valid through self-mutilation and everything else. And then the other character went through the same thing and came to the different outcome. Well, it was very right? interesting. It was right, very like, interesting like, that he was a previous model of her. He was abandoned in favor of her and others. And he felt like, I'm not done yet. Right. He, resentful of them. But but it, it could have gone beyond just the upgrade. Yeah, I agree. Right, well, there also like, could have been something very clearly about his model. Again, a nod to our Alien Covenant discussion. But there could have been something very specific to his model that allowed him to be independent. The terrorist actions that he was doing, the, the full anarchist defiance about everything that they have they have built out of him that later models didn't have. That he's convincing her to understand that there are options beyond what they've given her that his model understood and was considered a failure. And she's part of the refined group that had that edited out. I don't know. That's where See, I thought they were going with it. But, but so I, w- I, would, I would take it a different way. I would take it the heart of darkness approach that it wasn't about the tech. More it hot wasn't dogs, about, more states. It, it, it wasn't about the state of technology. It was about the the mind and the soul that they put in that context that defined their reaction, right? And it's because he didn't have the character makeup, yeah, sure, and the psyche to do it that he reacted the way that he did and like went sociopathic, whereas she was in there within the can and had a balance and had, and had a different response that was more uh, balanced. Right? Well, so I, I love, I, love, I, love right? that he didn't hate her. He was trying to join with her. He was trying to get right. her on her side, on his side. Right. And when she didn't, or when she was obviously forging her own path, he he didn't have the the typical angry response and bitterness and rejection and I want to kill you. He was actually self-sacrificing. I mean, I love that right. about that movie. That was an anti-antagonist, right? So, but which is exactly the parallel to Heart of Darkness and Apocalypse yep. Now. Right. Right. Right? Go on the same journey, and because of who you are, you come to a different outcome. And then somebody else has gone that path before you in the other spot. What are they going to do with that differential outcome, knowing that it's not because of any character flaw? Either way, it's just different choices. You're right. And then how do you, how do you internalize and accept that? So I, I think that, that there was a whole depth there that could have been fascinating to see that's all it's unfortunate that we uh we couched this as a micro review because it became a review review <laughs> <laughs> so that was a sneak a sneak peek a teaser <laughs> of the next segment the kraken reviews in which we review two movies recently that we saw in great detail slightly three percent less detail than we did ghost in the toll which we both super loved 
right? And we haven't scratched the surface on the other two reviews, which would be another voluminous topic. So I cannot wait to watch our lovely wives fall asleep to a Blu-ray viewing of that movie. That we'll have. Indeed. Indeed. No, and and we'll have many uh, celebratory hours afterwards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so at this point, our intrepid hosts realized that it was nearing on 3 a.m. and that they both had to be up in a couple of hours and called it a night. Uh, we had planned on bringing you a second half of the conversation where our good buddy Mike Rowe shows up and chimes in as well and it's a pretty epic conversation it's really great unfortunately i had not enough time to get it edited before i had to leave for california for my next set of shows because it's a little rowdier than this episode we had some audio difficulties with mike's connection and a few other things that i am sorting out and getting edited and tweaked together but for now we're gonna have to leave you with this for the month I hope you enjoyed listening to our June episode of Robot Kraken. As always, you can visit robot-kraken.com for all the best nerd news. You can find Tom and I on Tom and me on all social media. My username is Deeply Dapper on Twitter and Instagram. Tom can be found at TRDL, Third Rail Design Lab, on Twitter. We are also both on Facebook. We have a Robot Kraken Facebook group that occasionally has things posted on it. Or you can just find us right there on Facebook and send us a message. If you have any comments or queries or criticisms of the episode, please send me an email at deeplydapper at gmail.com. And please, if you guys are enjoying the show, hop over onto iTunes, find us on there, and leave us a review. Uh, it really does help other people find the show. It gets us a little higher in the rankings in search functions for it. And we'd really like more people to listen to Robot Kraken. And if you do leave us a review, flash me an email and I'll send you a little thank you gift in the mail as something physical for just helping us out the way you are. We appreciate it. We we really enjoy knowing that there are those of you out there enjoying the show and like listening to us. And we'll continue bringing you your monthly dose of Kraken appeasement here. In the meantime, it's time to put the Kraken back in its cage and move on down the road to the next one. Our next episode should be really fun. Like I said, we have that episode from Mike, Blake, and Tom. Uh, we should also feature some live in-person interviews between me and Tom and possibly Blake. So tune in next month for the July episode. In the meantime, insert witty closing phrase here. Good night, everyone.